that's a theme from National Lampoon's Vacation from 1983. They're going to remake this movie, believe it or not. It's a movie that should be left alone and never remade. I know they had a lot of crappy sequels, so you may say, what's the difference? But you expect every movie to have crappy sequels, but you just don't want to see it being remade. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. Tonight, I am alone. Thought we were going to have a co-host, but uh, turns out not. But maybe next week. Number of people volunteering recently to co-host the show, and Daredevil, who was here two weeks ago, said he'd like to come back, so he's welcome to do that. So I think we have an upward trend recently of co-hosts on the show, which makes it easier on me in several respects. But tonight I will be doing it solo, and hopefully it will go okay. If you want to reach me during the show, there's a few ways. Phone numbers are 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That is also our text number, 775-372-8355. You can text me at any time during the show, before the show, or after the show. I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. You can also go into our chat room. You need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. And you need a flash-enabled device, meaning you cannot have an iPhone or an iPad to get into the chat room. Otherwise, it's just the chat button on top. You click on that, you go right in, and you can interact with me there during the show. Please be aware that when I'm doing the show by myself, especially, it is hard for me to read the chat room and do a show at the same time. I run everything here. I run the phones. I run the technical equipment. I obviously host the show, so it's hard to read the chat room too, but I try to catch it as much as I can. If you want to get a message across to me, text is the best option at 775-372-8355. You can also call our Mount Charleston line, which is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. Mount Charleston is a mountain that hangs high atop Las Vegas, Nevada, about 30 to 45 minutes away by car. I have an old 70s telephone that sits on top of the mountain that forwards to wherever I go. Just make sure to dial star 82 to show your caller ID before calling me or you won't get through. It's not a matter of me refusing to answer. It just won't get through automatically unless I see your caller ID. But don't worry, your phone number is safe with me. It's just the way I have the show configured. We have a free roll tonight for $70 cash. $70 cash. And as always, the cash for the free roll came from our users and not me. The $70 came from, this week, Dirty Ernie, who donated 20 Poker Prince 2, who donated 20 Yup, who donated 15 4-Bit, who donated 5 and SMI Florida, who donated 10 So thank you to all you guys. The prizes will be distributed as follows. First place, $35. Second place, $20. Third place, $10. Fourth place, $5. 35 20 10 and 5 It takes place in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. You need a separate account for that poker room, but... It is totally free. You don't even need play chips to play in the free roll. It starts at 7.40 Pacific time, which is about 45 minutes from right now. No Limit Hold'em this week is the game. 
You can register late up to 25 minutes, which means after 8.05 p.m., that is the cutoff. If you want to get paid the free money, you have to qualify for it. The way you qualify is either have an account on the forum that is dated June 1st, 2013 or beforehand, or if you do not have an account on the forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before, you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you have been listening to the show for at least three weeks and convince me by telling me things you've heard on this program at least over the past three weeks, that are not listed in the official show description. People have asked before, what if I have not been listening for three weeks, but I listened to three episodes yesterday? Is that okay? Yes, as long as it's three shows. Also, if you want an easy way into the free roll, donate money to it one time, at least. If you donate money to the free roll, then you automatically have access for as long as you remain in good standing on the site. Good standing meaning I I have not banned you. And very few people here are banned. So, now that I got all that out of the way, let me take a look at our chat room. Our chat room says, I thought a drunken tide was going to co-host tonight. No, that was last week. Uh, Real Chaser 74 saying, include my winnings from last week for first, for this week. Well, Real Chaser, I don't know how much that is. Hockey guy said, I pledged $5 if Jeff started on time, but we know what happened there. That's not true. I Maybe tonight, but in the past, I actually did start on time when you pledged money for it. JSTAT saying, the SEO for this site, search engine optimization, shot up today with the mention that I'm in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, I am in the Wall Street Journal. And some other things happened involving me this week. This is a very... Todd Dandruff would tell us centric show today because there's a number of things that happened to me personally that I will talk about, but plenty of other general poker news as well. Sadly, one thing I was looking for, and I guess I should have asked for this before the show. I'll I'll be glad to play it next week. I really wanted to lampoon the Phil Locke and Antonio Esfandiari show called Poker Underground on Discovery Channel, but unfortunately... I could not find a copy of it on YouTube other than one that costs like two bucks. And I, I'm too cheap to pay $2 to, to get it. I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't want to pay for that show. So I was going to ask if someone had it to send to me in like video format that I could play on my computer. I have it on my DVR, but to get it off there is a, a big pain in the ass. And here, yeah, I'll take a call here. Call you around the air. Hey, what's Hello. happening there, John? Yeah, who are you? This is Hockey Guy. Hockey guy, hello, and uh, welcome to the show. Hey, just want you to know I got my hat today. You got your hat today. Well, that's very good. I mean, it's it's been a long time. It took that long to get to where you are? It got here today, yep. Wow. What is wrong with the Canadian mail? I think it had to do with the American mail. I don't know. It got all the way to England in like a few days. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I'm glad you received it. I, I know Delaware was claiming he didn't receive it, but then he's saying he hadn't checked the mailbox. So, I mean, you shouldn't. Well, I got, I, it showed up today, and I'll, I'll be posting a picture tomorrow. Oh, boy. I took a picture of it, but I haven't. Well, in that bed, so. I hate to tell you, but Bobby Orr, who's also in Canada, a different part of Canada than you, he just PM'd me. I got my hat today also. 
So I think I'm going to blame Canada on this one because the guy in England got it really fast, and the two Canadians here both got it like a long time from when I sent it. I sent it on September 4th. So that's pretty bad. It also cost me like three times as much to send you guys the hats as it did to the U.S. And what's what's funny is I remember when I – accidentally took some chips home from a casino in St. Kitts that I knew I'd never be back to. I had $1,500 worth of chips, three 500s from a St. Kitts casino. So I called them up and I say, can I mail them to you? They said, yes, but the mail is very slow. I said, how slow is it? They said, it takes a month each direction. I said, are you kidding me? In 2005, it's going to take a month each direction? They said, yes. So I said, okay. So I, I didn't even try to like, insure it or anything i just said screw it i put the three chips on a paper taped them to the paper put them in the envelope and shipped them there sure enough it took about exactly a month and they received them and then they sent me a check for 1500 which again took a month to get to me and i'm like well saint kitts is a third world country so i guess you can expect that but uh canada here we took 12 days to get a hat from southern california to alberta Pretty brutal. Yeah. Okay, so some people in the chat are blaming yeah. socialism for this. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm reading the chat. Okay. Off, you guys, fuck you, Canada. I don't think so, but whatever. Anyway, I, another thing here. Hot Shot's the guy who's trying to donate his winning from last week, right? No, it's a real Chaser 74. It's a different person. No, no, that was, that was, no, it's Hot Shot. He was just quoting Hot Shot. Oh, Hot Shot said that. Okay, I see. I always confuse those two yeah. also. There's Hot Shot 74 and Real Chaser 74, and they kind of like showed up well, at the I, same time. Yeah. yeah, I found a lot of things confuse you. Yeah, that's not very nice to say. Okay, listen. <laughs> uh, I'll, they have to tell me how much uh, Hot Shots... I don't know, I think it was 25 bucks. It's $25? And he, wants to go, and he wants it to go to first, I think. Oh, he wants it all to go yeah, to right first. Shot. Okay, okay, fine. Is so that right, Hot Shot? It'll all yeah, go to, yes, it'll all go to first. Okay, $25, it'll all go to first. And, uh, that, that, yeah. I guess that makes first place, uh, 60 bucks, which means probably people are going to yeah. chop it, but whatever. Yeah. And he also wanted to say that he's doing that because it didn't feel like a real win because I was disconnected last week. Oh, I see. Well, see, I blame Canada for that too. Apparently Canada has problems yeah. with both its internet and its mail. <laughs> I mean, what, what did they get right over there? Actually, I was at work, and, and yeah, it was our internet for sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'd, al- I'd also like to put a $5 bounty on Hotshot. Oh. Ray Bittar Coin. Okay, so Ray Bittar Coin. Whoever knocks him out gets 5 bucks from me. All right, very good. So Ray Bittar Coin, uh, make sure to try to knock him out, and Hockey Guy will send $5 to you, or he'll send it to me, and I'll send I'll it to send, you. I'll send it to you. Okay, okay. And get him. All right, go get him, everybody. Everybody get him. Go get him. We have Hockey Guy who okay. called into the show to make sure everybody should try to knock out uh, Hotshot for knock, for Hockey Guy's disconnection last week. That was his fault. That, that's right. All and right. also, I'll put a $5 bounty on myself. Oh, nice. All right. So Hockey Guy also putting the bounty on himself, trying to be fair here. So we have two bounties tonight. So the overall, the value of the free roll is now over $100, which means uh, it's – one ten thousandth of a million dollars. That's good. That's very good. Perfect. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the show, and you have a good one. All right, thank you. Thank you, Hockey Guy. Okay.
Bye. Hockey guy is always very generous. Always very generous. And uh, here he was again from the remote reaches of Alberta, Canada. Has been kind enough to donate $10, $5 on a bounty for him, $5 for Hotshot, a.k.a. Ray Bitar Coin. That is at 7.40 tonight, No Limit Hold'em on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. All right, so... Here's the agenda for tonight. I was trying to read the chat room, but I said, ah, forget it. Here's the agenda for tonight. Poker Fraud Alert has had some interesting encounters... Actually, both Poker Fraud Alert and myself. We've had interesting encounters over the years that I didn't think I would have. Uh, Poker Fraud Alert, or actually it wasn't Poker Fraud Alert. It was a different site that I was part of that I also owned. But a lot of the same people who are over here right now. Uh, I was contacted by the FBI. Not over anything I did, but uh, I was contacted by the FBI over one matter a few years ago on a different site. And now I got a threatening letter from an attorney. And you say, ah, big deal. A lot of people get threatening letters from attorneys. No, but the threatening letter I got was not just any attorney. It was a Jewish Hollywood attorney representing Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence's attorney. Yes, that Jennifer Lawrence contacted me and threatened me with some legal consequences if I do not do something that Jennifer Lawrence wants me to do. I'll tell you what happened there. Well, I went to Commerce on Friday night, Saturday morning, got there pretty late, stayed there a long time. Had kind of a disappointing session where I won a whole lot and then lost it all back, but That's not what this is going to be about. This is about a confrontation I had at Commerce with someone else at the table. I had a confrontation with a fellow World Series of Poker bracelet winner. I had a confrontation with a fellow World Series of Poker, not World Series of Poker, but Limit Pro. I had a confrontation with a fellow 42-year-old, a fellow Jew, a fellow family man. And despite all these things in common, me and this person do not like each other one bit. The feeling is very mutual. But we finally had it out, both at Commerce and on Twitter afterwards. And I'll explain what happened and why it happened. Well, you guys are very aware of Bitcoin by now. And you're also probably very aware of the fact that you can gamble... With Bitcoin, you can play slots with Bitcoin, you can play poker with Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin gambling out there, and you know whether it's legal or not is up for debate, and we're not going to really talk about that for now. But apparently, Bitcoin gaming is expanding. There's a new site that is coming out called Breakout Gaming that involves Bitcoin, and involves more than just poker, and it is backed by some pretty big names. We're going to talk about breakout gaming and whether I recommend it and what I think of the whole thing. It's an interesting 
announcement and a lot of weird things already going on involving Breakout Gaming. Well, the Discovery Channel ran three shows last week. They claimed they were all about poker, but they weren't. The first two were about casino gambling, and the third was about uh, Phil Locke and Antonio Esfandiari traveling around New Orleans and playing in private home games. I'll tell you my reaction to those shows, and I wanted to play some clips, but I cannot find any that I can get for free, and I'm too cheap to pay for it. So maybe next week I'll play some clips, but I'll talk a bit about what I saw. Dan Bilzerian back in the news in the Wall Street Journal, an article written about him and his supposed poker career and where he gets his money. I appear in that article, believe it or not. I am mentioned in that article. I will read you the article and tell you about the interview I had with the author of the article. Speaking of Bitcoin, I'll probably do this together with the other Bitcoin-related segment. Nitrogen Sports, which I guess runs a a Bitcoin sports book right now, is going to open a new Bitcoin poker room. So that's even more competition in the Bitcoin poker market. This is really weird. This is also about online gambling. Full Tilt, which right now you can play on if you're not in the U.S., and soon you'll be able to play the casino part of Full Tilt in New Jersey. But, but anyway, that's not what that's about. Full Tilt has added a feature only available to certain countries, not the U.S. and not most other countries, but a certain feature to where you can play against a live dealer while you're playing online in Blackjack. I bet you're confused. Yes, I say a live dealer. What do I mean by a live dealer? I mean a real human being standing and dealing cards at a real blackjack table. And you may say, well, how can you play that online? Well, it's very weird, and I'll explain it. But yes, it's exactly as it sounds, a live dealer that you can play online in blackjack and interact with. If you live in Boston, I have some good news for you, or what's likely good news. The Wynn Casino is going to open up in Boston. There's going to be a casino in Boston, no longer just near Boston, but in Boston, or very, very, I'm not sure if it's going to be in Boston proper, but, you know, in the Boston area. And it will be a Wynn Casino, and it's supposedly going to be very nice. Only problem is it may not come to exist, and I'll explain why. Finally, Doug Polk, a.k.a. WCG Rider, has had a bunch of money frozen Not by an online poker site, but by Bank of America. Bank of America has frozen a bunch of his accounts, and he cannot access the money. And it's related to his online poker play. We'll talk about that and what that might mean for you as an online poker player if you're still playing online poker in the U.S. So that is our agenda tonight, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. Get in our free roll, you get half an hour. PLOL saying in the chat, it is not going to be in Boston proper. It'll be right next to it in Everett. But, you know, sure, that's uh, pretty close. So thank you for the additional detail there. Danny Deadwood in chat saying, Todd, in the, World, in the Wall Street Journal and on 60 Minutes, dang, son. Yeah, also in the Washington Post. Don't forget that, and don't forget CNBC. Don't forget ESPN, where I spun a seat cover. I I really have been 
and a lot more media than I ever expected to be. And some people think that I was a publicity hound and was trying to seek this out. I don't know if you guys remember when Tiffany Michelle was doing this, but uh, especially shortly after she had her unbelievable 17th place finish at the 2008 main event. But Tiffany Michelle was positioning herself as a poker expert and was her her agent was basically booking her on Fox News and other places where she masqueraded as a poker expert. But I didn't do anything like that. I did not contact any form of media, any form of media to appear. 60 Minutes contacted me. CNBC contacted me. The Wall Street Journal contacted me. The Washington Post contacted me. All of them contacted me, I promise you. I did not go to them. So, I'm happy to comment. I'm happy to give my opinion to these large publications. It's kind of cool to see my name in print there or on a major TV show. But I don't seek it out. They, they come to me, which, which actually makes it a lot more meaningful. And I'll tell you how the Wall Street Journal thing happened when I get to that segment. So, let's get on with the first topic. Jennifer Lawrence. You might wonder, what the hell's going on? Why would Jennifer Lawrence care about me or Poker Fraud Alert? I mean, I, I think a lot of guys out there would want Jennifer Lawrence to care about them or to even know they exist. And I can, I'll be honest here. I don't think Jennifer Lawrence knows I exist, but her attorney definitely does. Now, I'm sure you know by now that Jennifer Lawrence and many other celebrities, all female, had their nudes posted on the Internet last month. And these spread around like wildfire, as you might guess. When this happened, I realized, as did everybody else, that it's kind of too late. No matter how it happened, whether it's fair or not, whether it's right or not, it has happened. And once your nudes go up on the internet and you're a famous person, you can't get them down. There are too many different places they can go where you, you will never be successful in taking them down. Now, if you're a private citizen to where people will not be that interested in your nudes, you probably can get them taken down with some time, effort, and or money. For example, let's say my nudes got out there. Well, probably people would have fun trading them in the poker community and getting a good kick out of the whole thing. But the average citizen would not want my nudes. Nobody would be searching for Todd Wittellis nude. In, you know, the average person would not be doing that. The average person would not want to see or be curious at all about me nude. So it wouldn't spread around as much. It would probably be a limited number of sites showing my nudes that I could probably get taken down with enough effort. But when you're Jennifer Lawrence, an international movie star who's very, very well known in this day and age, everybody wants to see you nude. The general public really, really wants to see you nude. And everyone's going to trade it around. Everyone's going to post them to different sites. A lot of the sites housing these nudes will be foreign sites that you will have no legal authority over. Really trying to get these nudes down is like tilting at windmills. You're just never going to get it done. It's, It's a futile attempt. But, nevertheless... Jennifer Lawrence has a whole lot of money, and she wants those nudes down. So she has hired an attorney named Evan Spiegel, a Jewish Hollywood attorney, 
He's actually, I think, a year older than me, in case you're wondering. He specializes in technology, among other things. So she hired him to painstakingly attempt to get her nudes off the internet, which I think is ridiculous. Even if he gets every nude taken off U.S.-based sites, what's he going to do if they appear on Russian sites or Chinese sites or uh, uh, you know, one of many other foreign sites where those governments will not give a crap? I think Russia is the most likely place where they'll appear that they will not be able to be taken down. But anyway, uh, Evan Spiegel decided to send me a letter, which, of course, I'm sure he sent to tons of different sites. It's probably like a copy-and-paste job, but still. It was sent to me. Re Michaela Maroney, who's an Olympian, and he wrote another one, almost identical letter, that I'll just read the first one, and then you can just substitute Jennifer Lawrence's name for the rest of them, for the second one. Uh... Read Michaela Maroney, copyright and privacy violations. Dear copyright and abuse agent. That's very not very nice. How about dear sir? How about dear webmaster? How about dear site owner? Not dear copyright and abuse agent. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's, that's just name calling right there. Unless he's trying to say like I'm an agent in stopping copyright abuse. But, I, I mean, that's, that's already kind of offensive. But we are litigation counsel for young Olympian Michaela Maroney. We have become aware of unauthorized copies of stolen private photos of our client, which capture her in a state of undress in private moments taken when she was an underage minor, collectively the, quote, photos. Now, this is Michaela Maroney, who, by the way, is over 18, but claims the pictures were taken when she was under 18, which I guess is possible. Anyway, the the ones posted on this site don't show anything, they don't show any private parts. So uh, this is like a copy-and-paste job. So uh, the the truth is you can legally post pictures of, of teenagers who are in, you know, a bikini or brawn panties or whatever, and you're not committing any kind of child porn violation, uh, but but there were ones of her that actually showed more, but they were not uh, housed on this site. But th- let me go on. Possession and or posting of the images is illegal. In addition, our client holds all rights, title, interest, and copyright to the private self-created photos. Because, you know, she made these photos of herself and stored them on her iCloud and it got compromised. By nobody on this site. It's just, you know, they were passing around. It was being discussed here and somebody posted a copy of it. Not me. We are writing with respect to our client's claims arising for violations of copyright laws and gross invasions of her privacy as relates to the outrageous unauthorized online posting linking to disseminating and or publishing the stolen unlawfully obtained copies of my client's copyright protected photos by your site. Unauthorized copies of the stolen private photos appear and are linked from or displayed or contained on your server and or system. As set forth in the below included Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA, Notice of Infringement. The publication, distribution, and exploitation of, of unauthorized, unlawfully obtained photos has occurred within our, without our clients' approvals or authorizations or any other rights to do so. Yep, pretty bad stuff. So, this is the really weird part. DMCA Notice of Infringement. I, the undersigned, as the attorney, Evan Spiegel, certify under penalty of perjury 
that I am the agent authorized to act on behalf of the owner of certain intellectual property rights and said owner being named Michaela Maroney, quote, IP owner. Oh, I see. I I had always taken IP owner to mean IP address owner. I'm like, does this guy even understand what an IP address is? But I guess IP in this case stands for intellectual property. I, I just realized that. I was going to make fun of it, but uh, I'd sound like an idiot if I did. All right, so I, I'm not going to read the rest of it. You You know where this is going. It ends with, we demand that you immediately remove your from your website or system the unauthorized illegal posting of the photos and prevent any further display, post, publication, distribution, and any other use of the photos. Sincerely and truthfully, truthfully, as, as opposed to sincerely and dishonestly, Evan Spiegel. <laughs> and I got uh, a very similar one about Jennifer Lawrence, which is identical. Uh... Except it, it just mentions actress Jennifer Lawrence and it doesn't mention the underage minor part. So, uh, interesting to get that. I had a good laugh. What did I do? Did I tell the guy to go you know, jump in the lake and forget it? I'll do what I want? You're not going to tell me how to run my own site? No. I'm not going to go up against a Hollywood Jewish attorney. And there's really no point. I mean, it's not that important. So I removed them. Now, what he was concerned about, by the way, even though the letter technically talks about links, blah, 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 he gave the links where he was concerned to areas of poker fraud alert he wanted me to modify. And it had to do with the pictures that were housed on poker fraud alert basically attachments so people uploaded attachments and that's what bothered him is the not just linking to other sites that had them but the actual pictures being housed on poker fraud alert so one of them was a picture of michaela maroney as i said one that is not uh nude but is a i'll describe it i'll go uh, i actually saved the picture <laughs> i probably shouldn't be admitting this on the radio but i i saved the picture but it's not on online anymore which actually, you know, when I get a letter like that, is wise for me to do in case I ever get sued. So, the picture of her here is in brawn panties and taking a picture at the camera. That's Michaela Maroney, and uh, the Jennifer Lawrence picture is not even a full picture of her. It's just a picture of her that's part of a picture that someone made to explain how the hacking was done. And as a part of that picture explaining everything, they just put a small picture of Jennifer Lawrence nude with her breasts blocked out. So nothing of Jennifer Lawrence there, none of her private parts are shown either. But those are the two pictures they were concerned with, so I removed them. They're gone. So Evan Spiegel got what he wanted, and hopefully I will not hear from him again. Obviously, do not repost these pictures on Poker Fraud Alert. If they do get reposted, I will have to remove them again. And if someone's intentionally reposting them here just to try to get me in trouble, I will ban them. So, uh, you know, it's all fun and games until a Jewish attorney writes to you. Lou Father making a good suggestion. Why don't you put pictures of sandwiches over the breasts? <laughs> I kind of thought of that, but uh, actually, as I just said, I was told to remove the pictures 
of Jennifer Lawrence that didn't even show her breasts. Where it was already blocked out by like a red box. So that happened. At least, at least I can say that the attorney for Jennifer Lawrence wrote to me and was concerned about something and uh, demanded something of me. So when I see the next Jennifer Lawrence movie, I could say, ah, her attorney wrote to me and threatened me. Ah, I feel so close to her. So, let's move on to the next topic about me. I went to Commerce for the first time in a while on Friday night. Almost went on Thursday night, but ended up going on Friday night instead. I, I got there just around midnight. Started playing 4080. Did well right away. It was up like 2200. Then I, I took a beat down there at 4080. I lost like 6K straight, which at 4080 is pretty bad to lose 6K straight. I mean, that's a real bad loss. So I was down over 3K at this point. Really frustrated. But then I started to win again. It was a good game. Got to about 1100 down overall. And 100 games started. 100, 200. We're talking about Limit Hold'em here. And I saw who was in the game, and while there were a few pros there, there was uh, it was a shorthanded game, and there was a big fish who sat in the game. So I so, said, oh, sure, a shorthanded game with, with a fish? All right, sign me up. So I got out of the 40 game, moved over to the 100 game, played there, and I, I was a bit concerned that maybe I'd run really bad and lose a fortune. And it's not like the old days when I used to play 100 all the time and when I used to play even higher, up to 500, 1,000, where 100 was not a big game at all for me, but... Uh, the problem these days is that if I lose a lot at the 100-200 game, I will not be able to win it back for quite some time because I don't play enough. So it hurts a lot more to lose. But I said, I got to do this. You know, I'm definitely properly rolled for this game. That's not the question. Just the annoyance factor if I lose there and then I won't be able to make it back for a while, especially if I got to play 40. But anyway... I threw caution to the wind, sat down on the game, and thankfully did not run bad. In fact, I ran very well. And I won hands, and I won more hands, and I won even more hands. And not even so much bad beating people, I just kept flopping sets. Uh, I, I kept flopping top pair, and it was good over and over. Like, it was just win, 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 win. So, very quickly, I'm already up like 7500 bucks. Then I kind of spun my wheels for a while. The game got even better, but I, I wasn't winning anymore. I was kind of just uh, staying the same. Still 7,500 up overall, including the 1,100 I lost earlier at 4080. So I'm thinking, this, this is still pretty good overall. You know, I've, I've stopped the big winning streak, but I'm not losing, and I'm sure I'll win again because the game's still very good. And I did. Started to win again. And I said to myself, and by now it's it's been a pretty long time. I'm obviously condensing the story. You don't want to hear about it, you know, 20 hours of poker, but that's what I played. But I, I'd say I was about uh, 11, 12 hours in since I got to Commerce. And I started getting close to being 10K up for the session. And over 10K up for the uh, 100-200 game, because I came there down. And I said, you know, if I hit 10,000, I might just get up and go home and say, this is great, I won $10,000, nice session, goodbye. Definitely wouldn't be a hit and run because I was there forever, but I'm just saying that, like, I was thinking of leaving a good game for two reasons. One, because I was 
starting to get tired. Not really tired, but a little bit tired. And second, I had won a lot of money. And third, you know, why have the psychological uh, letdown if, if I chunk it back off? So I strongly considered if I get to 10, standing up and leaving. I got to 10, and I go, oh, man, this game's so good. What if I win 20? And I can't leave. So I stayed. And I started to lose. Now, shortly before I got to 10, David Baker showed up. Who is David Baker? I'm talking about David O.D.B. Baker, not David Bakes Baker. I don't know David Bakes Baker very well. But unfortunately, I do know David O.D.B. Baker. Uh, He calls himself O.D.B. because there are two David Bakers, and I guess the O stands for original. I like to say it stands for old David Baker. But he actually isn't old. He's old compared to the other David Baker who's a young kid. But uh, me and David Baker are the same age. We're both 42. Uh, we both play Limit Hold'em primarily. We both have a World Series of Poker bracelet. We are both Jewish. We both even have a bald spot on top of our heads. We both have children. But despite all these things in common, we've never gotten along. And it's really on him. There are some people who do not like me where I can at least partially blame myself. Someone that I may have talked trash about on this show. Someone I may have written bad things about on poker forums. Someone who I got into some sort of confrontation with them live or maybe with one of their close friends. And then I can say, okay, even though I don't agree with their side of things, I can understand why they dislike me. David Baker is kind of weird. And I'm sure you've probably had people like this in your life too. People who just seem to take a dislike to you without a real reason for it without you having really done anything to them or anyone close to them. The only thing I could figure, and it's funny, this was addressed too, which I'll get to shortly. The only thing I could figure was in 2007, when I was still playing on Absolute Poker before the super user scandal became apparent, there was a young guy from Texas. You know, David was from uh, Katy, Texas, which I think is in the Houston area. It, it is in the Houston area, but he was from Katy, Texas, K-A-T-Y, and it's, a, it's not a very big city. I'm going to look this up right now. How big is Katy, Texas? Katy, Texas is... has a population of 14,000. That's a pretty small city, you know? So, Katy, Texas, 14,000 people, not exactly a mecca of poker. So I'm on Absolute Poker, and at a fairly high limit hold'em game, a guy sits down and plays with me from Katy, Texas. So I'm like, oh, that's got to be David Baker. Now, up to this point, I hadn't really had any dealings with David Baker, none good, none bad. You know, he'd been at my table sometimes. We, we'd play. We didn't really talk, but we weren't uh, enemies or had any bad blood, at least not to my knowledge. He acted just kind of neutral toward me, which is fine. Uh, but I was sure it was him, a high-limit, limit-hold'em player from Katy, Texas, sitting at my limit-hold'em game online. So I'm like, all right, that's, that's got to be David. So after a little while playing with this guy, I said, hey, yeah, you're David Baker, right? And he says, no. I said, really? Another limit-hold'em player from Katy? That's kind of strange. He says, yeah, well, actually, I'm only 18 years old, and my dad knows David Baker from the Houston poker scene in the Houston underground poker games, but... I'm not David Baker. I'm just an 18-year-old kid. 
I said, oh, okay, but I, I believed the guy. I didn't, I didn't think David Baker was the type to go online and, and say something outrageous like that if it wasn't true. Like, it, it just wasn't him. If you know his personality, it's just not him to go online and say something like that. And it wasn't David Baker. It was really this 18-year-old kid. So me and this kid had a running joke there that he kind of started that uh, when, when the kids would show up and see me there, he'd say, oh, hi, David. And he would start accusing me to be David Baker. I said, wait a minute, I thought you're David Baker. He says, no, you're David Baker. And we, you know, we had this joke back and forth accusing each other of being David Baker, which he started. Uh, so we, we kind of did that to mess around with each other when we saw each other in the game. Nothing hostile towards David Baker here. We said nothing bad about the guy, uh, nor did either of us say that we were David Baker. In fact, we both were saying that we weren't. I would say, no, I'm not David Baker. You are. No, yeah, no, I am you. No, no I'm not. You are. Like, you know, it was obviously a joke, number one. And number two, nobody was saying they were him. So several months later, I'm at Commerce, and I'm talking at the table with someone else. David Baker's at the table, but I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to someone else about uh, people who impersonate well-known pros online. I think I was talking about like someone who was playing as, uh, as Phil Hellmuth or something when it really wasn't him. And David Baker piped up, yeah, well... I know of some other people who like to imitate uh, lesser-known pros and who like to imitate even, uh, you know, someone at this table I know likes to do that. And I said, really? What, what are you saying? He says, you. I said, wait a minute. I don't imitate people. I don't ever do that. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I, 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 that's not what I heard. I heard that you've been online imitating me. So that, as soon as he said that, I knew what he was talking about. And I explained it to him. I said, oh, no, 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 no. And I explained the story that I just told you. And I told him it was, there was nothing intended that was hostile about it or no one was seriously pretending to be him. Nobody was even pretending to be him. We were just jokingly accusing each other of being you because, you know, this guy was from Katie just like you are. So I expect him to say, okay, cool, no problem. I had heard something different, but it totally makes sense now. No, no big deal. Instead... He gave me like an angry face, and he's like, oh, uh, "Okay, whatever." Like I could tell he didn't even believe me. And from that point, he he just kind of gave me an angry look and and stopped talking. And I said, "All right, well, whatever. If he wants to believe this, I I've, I've explained it to him. But if he doesn't want to believe me, what can I do?" So, from that point forward, he's always been just kind of. I, I, he hasn't been confrontational with me, but, but kind of like passive-aggressive and, and clearly projects that he really dislikes me. Well, let's fast forward to 2013. 2013, I made the 5K Limit Hold'em final table. They had a few Limit Hold'em experts in the booth for the ESPN 360 broadcast to give color commentary of the hands. And David Baker happened to be the one giving color commentary for this final table that I was at. So you can imagine what happened. David Baker was as negative about me as possible. If I won a hand, he said I got lucky. If I lost a hand, he was explaining all the reasons, all the things I did wrong to lose it. Uh, Anything bad he could find to say about me, anything, you know, the way I'm raising and, you know, touching the chips, just anything he could say. He even, he even said I was tanking too long 
when I shouldn't have, and then later said I was not tanking enough. So on one hand, he said I was acting too quickly. On the other hand, he said I was tanking too long when I shouldn't have been, just to slow roll the guy, which I wasn't doing. Like, anything he could find to criticize, valid or not, he was criticizing. And at the same time, he had a few buddies at the table that he knew from commerce, and he was pretty much sucking them off on, uh, on camera there, saying how wonderful they were, how great they were, how they're the best players there, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, fine, if he wants to pump his friends up, no big deal. I don't care about that. But uh, he found every reason he could to bash me. And it was so transparent that I had some friends and family watching this broadcast who know very, very little about poker. And they were all asking me, what does this announcer guy, David, have against you? Why, why does he hate you so much? Like, even people who knew very little about poker saw right through it that this guy was going out of his way to bash me. Not bash me personally, like he wasn't saying Todd's a jerk, Todd's an asshole, but, you know, bashing the way I'm playing poker, bashing the way that I, my etiquette at the table, bashing, uh, you know, the, the way I'm putting out my chips, just anything you can find to bash, he does. Uh, I, I kind of wish that I wasn't told about this as it was going on, but I was. A little bit of a distraction during the final table to hear about this. I would have preferred to have heard about it afterwards. Uh, I actually went and go. I went to listen to it myself from a, an archived broadcast, and uh, it was pretty much everything everyone had said. So I almost confronted him at that point and said, hey, look, you know, that wasn't very nice to do. You know, if, if it had been reversed, if I was the color commentary, which I, I easily could have been because I, I have been before, and in fact they were ready to have me do it again this year, but then they ended up not televising this one, even on ESPN 360. But otherwise there was a good chance I was going to be the color commentary uh, this year because I, I was out and I did not make the final table or even come close. So... If it had been reversed and he was at the final table and I was the color commentator, yes, I would have known inside that I was hoping he would lose. Yes, I would have felt the temptation to use that moment to talk trash about him or to try to make him look bad, but I wouldn't do it because I think it's a, that's not the right thing to do. It's an immature thing to do. It's, it's abusing the privilege you're being given to go uh, give the, col- the color commentation uh, for uh, ESPN. It's just not a mature thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. If you're going to take a position like that, you have to put your personal feelings aside about the players at the table and comment evenly on everyone. You should try to do the best job you can, uh, not use it as an opportunity to bash people, and, and second, to try to pump up the people you like. But that's what he did. And I almost said something about it to him, but I said, you know what, it's going to look like sour grapes. It's going to look like that I'm bitter about finishing fifth, and I'm bitter that he didn't uh, agree with all my moves at the table, so now I'm going to take it out on him. And I was going to look like a jerk if I said it. Even though I'd be right, I was going to look like a jerk if I said it, and a sore loser. So I decided not to say anything. I, I posted a small thing about it on Poker Fraud Alert, but that was it. I did, I did not make a big deal about this at all. So that was last year. Now here we are this year. So, what happened this year, just this Saturday, 
was I was at the table with David Baker for the first time since this happened. And uh, for the first few hours or so, we really had little to say to each other. I didn't say anything to him, and we pretty much ignored each other. But it all came to a head. Everything we had, whatever it is, in the past. Like, I don't even understand fully why this guy dislikes me. I, I really don't understand why he has such an issue with me. I can understand if whatever general demeanor I have, he doesn't care for, but he seems to have a a stronger dislike than really makes sense here. But okay, whatever. All I ask is that he does not create a problem for me at the table. The seat to my direct left opens up, and I've been at the game longer than he is. So the rules of the Commerce Casino state that the person with seniority gets first choice and seats. So since I had a seniority over him, if we both want the same seat, I get it. And this is not like an asshole thing to do. This is the way it's been at Commerce for as long as Commerce has existed, to my knowledge. And this is very standard and very accepted and very well known. And David knows it very well. He plays there all the time. The problem occurred because some confusion happened. Uh, a floor man came over because they were asking the floor man, is there another player for the game to replace this open seat? The floor man says, yes, I have a player. Dealer, lock this up. And I could have sworn I saw the floor man put a dollar chip there. And when he says lock this up, he doesn't mean lock it up for that specific player. What he means is lock up this seat so a new player doesn't just walk over and sit in it instead of the new player that the floor man's bringing over. So it's meaning keep everyone out of this game who's not in it already except the person I'm going to bring over. That's what he means by lock it up. So I could have sworn it was the floor man putting the chip down, meaning that player is not even here yet, and that if I choose to take that seat, all I have to wait is until that player shows up, and then when he tries to take the seat, if I want to take his seat instead, and I was going to make this decision based upon who it was, uh, then I'll say, oh, no, 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 I'm taking this seat, and then he would take the seat uh, on the other end. And, uh, you know, this is very, very standard stuff. Very standard stuff for commerce. So about five minutes pass. And David, who's across the table, stands up and looks like he's about to start moving his chips. He hasn't done anything yet, but he's about, he stands up and he's clearly moving seats. And there's only one seat that's open. It's the one next to me. So I think, oh, what? David's moving here? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him that I want this seat. Why? I don't want David Baker with position on me. He's an aggressive player. I don't want him three-betting me every time I raise. I don't want him with direct position on me. It's just uh, you don't want that. Again, very standard. So I say, no, I'll take this seat. He has not moved anything. He has not picked up anything. All he's done is stand up. Again, very standard. The only thing that's slightly not standard is that five minutes have passed. The reason five minutes passed is because he was waiting till his blinds to do it. So now, had I been in his spot, I would have said, okay, no problem, take the seat. Because it's just the way commerce works. The guy with seniority gets the seat. Well, he was mad that I waited five minutes to say it. So he says, what? I locked this five minutes ago. Didn't you see me throw the chip over there? And I said, no, I didn't see you throw the chip over there. I I didn't see you do it. I had no idea you were taking the seat. So at that point, he should have said, fine. 
I can understand if he thought at first maybe I was doing this on purpose, like waiting five minutes and then breaking the news to him five minutes later that he can't move. But once I explained it to him, he should have dropped it. Instead, he started going off on me. Started insisting that he can still take it. Telling me that he's going to challenge it. Telling me that I can't do this. That, that uh, um, just, just making a, a big deal out of this. When it's so straightforward and simple. And I think he believed that I didn't see him throw the chip. And throwing the chip means nothing. Throwing the chip over there means nothing. You, you actually have to physically occupy that seat before it's really yours. So he decided to not officially challenge it and just let it go. And I was going to let it go. And I was not going to say anything further. And I wasn't going to post anything about it. But then he stands up angrily and walks off and, and starts yelling loudly. And I don't mean screaming, but like saying in a very loud tone of voice, making sure that I hear it, that others hear it. Hey, well, I thought I was going to switch seats here, but someone here takes five or ten minutes to say that he wants the seat instead. I don't understand this at all. Blah, 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 blah. Like, like he starts saying this really loud as he's walking away from the table, making sure that everybody hears uh, his outrage about this. Something that's inappropriate. But again, I wasn't going to say anything. Again, I was just going to let it go, especially because he didn't officially challenge the seat change and you know, and backed off from his original demand. So if he wanted to walk away angrily, fine, let him. Uh, but then the final straw to me was shortly after he got back, whenever we got in hands and he would check-raise me, he would do it by, like, laying out one ship at a time in a long row. So usually it's, like, stacks of four. So if you want to check-raise someone on the turn, you would make it uh, 16 ships going four, 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 four. Instead, he went one, 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 all the way across, like uh, a whole row of like 16 ships across. And I'm thinking, that's really weird. Like, why is he even doing this? Obviously, some sort of like passive-aggressive thing he's trying to do to annoy me. Next hand, we play together again. Same thing. He check-raises me on the turn. One, 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 all the way across. I'm going, this is really immature. Like, what the hell is he doing? Why do that? I, I don't even understand why is he doing that. I, I've never done anything like that. So he does this to me a few times, and, and finally to send him a message back, the next time I check-raised him, I went one 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 all the way across. And then, strangely enough, that stopped it, and he didn't do it anymore. Or maybe he just got tired of it. I don't know. But I thought this... What the hell is this? You know, first he bitches about the whole seat thing, and then, and then he does this stupidity with the chips. And add that to the trash talk that he did during the broadcast last year. And add that to his general surly demeanor around me. And add that to the fact that I've never done anything to the guy. So, I didn't bring this up while it was at the table. And it's not because I was afraid of him. And it's not because, uh, you know, I'm only willing to talk shit online. It's because there's so much stress at a poker table, especially at commerce. Everyone sits there at commerce pissed off. There's so much arguing. There's so much fighting. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And I try to stay out of that stuff myself. I try not to get in like into the whole hostility and confrontations at the table because I don't want it to stress me out while I'm trying to play and win money. And I was tired at the time. So I, I just, I said, I'm not in the mood to start a whole argument about this. 
while I'm playing and trying to you know, win big money at 100-200. So I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go talk about this on the internet when I get home. I, I just thought, okay, well, he's being an asshole, but I'm not going to say anything. Well, unfortunately, my luck really turned around. Not right at that moment. I had already been... Uh, shortly after that, I think uh, I was doing okay, but then... I don't know, with an hour I started to lose and lose more and lose more and I went on a terrible losing streak. Not over being tilted about this or anything. I just I just could not win a hand. And even though the game was still very good, my entire 10K profit was gone. And I, I lost a little bit more past that and I finally just said, you know, it's not, <laughs> this just isn't working out for me today and just got up and left. Didn't say anything to anyone, just, just got up and left. Now, as far as David saw, it looked like I lost a fortune, because he sat down when I was near my peak and watched me chunk it all off. Uh, I don't blame him for thinking I lost a lot of money, but uh, the truth was I didn't lose that much money. I just lost uh, my winnings, basically, which was very annoying. But when I woke up the next day, I thought, you know... I'm tired of keeping my mouth shut about David Baker. I'm tired of not saying anything about this guy with all his passive-aggressive BS. I'm just tired of it. No, he's not done anything horrible to me, but I'm just tired of not saying anything. I'm tired of not saying anything about the broadcast. I'm tired of not saying anything about his general demeanor towards me. I'm tired of not saying anything about the uh, the stupid seat thing that happened. I'm tired of not saying anything about the one 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 of the chips. So, I said, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm going to tell the story. And I'm going to keep it simple. I'm not going to talk about the ESPN crap from last year. I'm, I'm just going to keep it to what happened on Saturday. So, that's what I did. I went onto Twitter and announced what happened. And I, I knew that there was going to be a fallout from this, of course. I, I didn't think it would be ignored. I knew he'd respond. But that's fine. I just want it to be known. I just wanted it to be seen that this occurred. So I went on Twitter and I said the following. Let's play Guess the Bad Behaving Live Poker Player. That was my first tweet. Situation. Commerce 100-200 limit game, fairly well-known pro and WSOP bracelet winner at table. I've been at the table longer than him. Seat opens to left. He throws $1 chip to mark move to that seat, but I don't see it. He gets up to actually move five minutes later. At that point, I realize he is moving, and I tell him I want seat instead, which is my right to do since I have seniority at the table. These are all my tweets. I explained to him that I didn't see him throw that chip over and would have told him at the time, he doesn't believe me and throws a tantrum. First berates me for it, then walks away bitching to others about it. All true. Later, he pulls a bunch of passive-aggressive BS at the table, such as check-raising me one chip at a time in a long row. Guess who it is? Hint, is not anyone known for outrageous tournament antics. So, people took guesses like Barry Greenstein, Men the Master, Gavin Griffin, but no. Shortly after that, about ten minutes later, I posted answer. It was David O.D.B. Baker, and then put the at... A.U. David B., which is his screen name, his uh, Twitter screen name, so he would see it. So I, I wanted him to see it. I could have not put that, but I wanted him to see it. I wanted him to respond. I wanted him to know I was doing this. Otherwise, there's no point. 
So, obviously, he responded. He wrote back, Outrageous over-exaggeration on every tweet in a series of slanders. First of all, it's libel, not slander, if it is untrue. But it's not libel either, because it was all true. I mean, it's, it's not untrue. This is what really happened. But, he, but, but that's cool you got the don't like you part right. So, he's basically saying, this isn't what happened, but you're right, I don't like you. So I wrote back, true or false, you were check-raising me uh, only with one ship at a time in a long row shortly after this happened. And I also put uh, another true or false that I, I can't find right now, about the, you know, basically about the situation. Uh, true or false, you hadn't moved anything over yet when this happened, whatever it was. Or, so he wrote regarding the chips with one 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 chips. He put, that had zero to do with seat, and I do to show you how dumb you look by not placing chips in pot in stacks of four. So first of all, he's admitting he was doing this to bother me. He's, quote, doing this to show you show me how dumb I look. Now, this isn't his place at the table to, quote, show me how dumb I look. I mean, why do this? That's an asshole thing to do. If he thinks I'm doing something that's wrong at the table something that's either dishonest or uh, slowing down the game or, or whatever, then, then say, you know, hey, can you please put your chips in this way because the way you're doing it here has these problems. The, uh, that's what you do if you're an adult at the table. If, if you're a child, you, you go check-raise one 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 to try to make fun of the person. And this started, like, right after the thing with the seat switching. This is BS. Otherwise, he would have done this one 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 thing like from the moment we sat together. But he didn't start this until after the seat thing happened. So, of course, it had to do with the seat change. We'd been together to table, at the table for hours before he started this. But at least he's admitting he was doing this in a hostile fashion. He was doing this to make fun of me. To, quote, show me how dumb I looked. And what he's referring to, I guess, is sometimes I place the chips out in stacks of four and sometimes not. Now, there's no rule you have to. You don't have to do it in stacks of four. But uh, you know, sometimes I'll just take eight chips and throw them out at once. Or sometimes I'll just grab a handful of chips and, and throw them. Not splash the pot or anything, but like I'll throw them, assuming it's eight for my feel of it. And if it's not, if it's like seven, then I'll throw one more in. If it's nine, I'll grab one back. But it's very quick. It doesn't slow down the game. And I don't do it all the time. And then also because the commerce chips are so dirty, they'll stick together sometimes. So like I'll try to do four and four and like they'll stick together and I'll get five there. So then instead of trying to pull them apart, I'll just do five and three. Like I'll do that too. But who cares? Why does this matter? It's not like he thinks I'm trying to short the pot or or trick people or angle shoot. He's not accusing me of that here. He's just saying I look dumb. So who cares if I look dumb? I'm not saying I do, but even if I do look dumb, why why, why should this matter to him? Why should he be doing this uh, obnoxious one 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 check raise to try to mess with me? It's just an asshole thing to do at the table. So at least he admitted to that. So, I, I was saying, look, just leave me alone. I was trying to do a very standard seat switch. I honestly did not see that you had thrown your chip over. You did not have right to that seat until you actually moved there, and you had not. I wasn't doing this to be a jerk. I did something that happens all the time at Commerce, and in fact, has happened to me on the reverse end hundreds of times, where I want to move to a seat, I throw my chip over, 
where I say I'm taking the seat, where I start to move my stuff over, and someone else says, whoa, 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 Todd, you can't move there. I have seniority, I'm taking it. I've even had it just like this before, where someone does not see me throwing my chip over, and a few minutes later I start to move, and they go, whoa, whoa, I, I want it. I go, but, you know, I, I said, I, this is my seat. And they go, no, 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 I didn't see you do it. I'm like, okay, no problem. Like, that's what normal people say. You don't start a whole argument about it. You say, okay, you didn't see me. Okay, no problem. Unless he thought I was intentionally doing this and pretending not to see it, but I don't think that's what he thought. I don't, I don't think that he doubted that I hadn't seen him throw it. I don't think he believed I was doing this to, like, slow roll him. I, I think he just wanted to be a jerk because he hates me. In fact, he didn't even say when defending himself on Twitter, he said nothing that he didn't believe me or that he thought I was doing this on purpose. He, he did not say that, which means I'm sure he didn't think that. Because if he thought I was messing with him in the first place, that would have been the first thing he'd say. If he thought that I waited five minutes on purpose before switching, he would have said, hey, uh, the reason I did this is because I was sure you were doing this to screw with me. I was sure you were waiting till I was going to start to move five minutes later to say something about it. So he didn't think that. He just felt that since I hadn't said anything, now somehow I don't have the rights to it anymore, which is not true. So, you know, I'm not going to take this any further. I'm not going to talk further trash to him on Twitter. By the way, the first thing he said back to me is, I'm not going to have a Twitter war with you over this, and proceeded to have one anyway. But I'm not going to have a further Twitter war with him about this. I'm not going to constantly bug him on Twitter. I'm not going to tweet to him at all, in fact. If I see him in person, I'm going to go back to ignoring him if he ignores me. That's my plan. And I hope he can be mature enough to do this and not feel the need to show me how dumb I look with the chips or do any other sort of passive-aggressive BS when he's at the table with me. But act like the 42-year-old father that he is And, you know, we acknowledge we dislike each other. That's never going to change. But we can play at the same table without causing any commotion or problem. And that's all I want. And I summed it up on my Twitter at, uh, yeah, about 45 minutes after I started, saying, if I don't act like a dick to you at the table, please don't act like a dick to me. That's all I ask. And that was just a general statement, not directed at David Baker, but obviously mainly inspired by him. I'm very outspoken on this show. I'm outspoken on the forums, but when I go play live poker, I'm quiet. I'm pretty quiet. And I I don't complain about bad beats. I don't abuse the dealer. I don't throw cards. I don't yell at people. I, I don't create big fights. I, I don't slow down the game with arguments or call floor men on people. I don't do that. That's not me. I try to be as agreeable as possible when I'm at the poker table. I try to be as uh, non-confrontational as possible at the poker table. I'm definitely not there to cause trouble. And anyone who's played with me before, I know a lot of you have who've uh, listened to the show. A number of you have played with me at least at one point or another. Maybe the World Series, maybe the cash game once in a while. Like, a lot of you have played with me live and will verify that I'm not a troublemaker at the table, not the slightest bit. Nor do I act disrespectful to people, nor do I act rude to people, nor do I ankle shoot. 
nor am I any kind of problem. So a player like me who does not cause any problems, you should not cause problems for him. Unless it's like a Howard Lederer type who you know stole many millions of dollars, then create a problem for him. But someone like me who has not stolen from anyone or hurt people or done anything you know really bad at all and who is not causing any problems at the table, those are the people you should leave alone. And you know, I practice what I preach too. I don't harass people at the table either. So, that's what happened. The chat room Bobby Orr is saying, are you still consuming three buffets or buffets for three at the poker table? (laughs) Well, no. Uh, What they're referring to is when I was on live at the bike, the one and only time I was on that, they had a limit hold'em game running and it's like a, a live webcast of a poker game. I played 4080 one time and I ate a lot of food there. It was a bad combination of events. I ate a whole lot of food because I had just woken up. I woke up very late that day and I went directly down to live at the bike without eating. So I was hungry and I was wearing a shirt that was kind of like the way it hung around my stomach, made my stomach look a lot bigger than it really was. And just kind of the lighting made my stomach look bigger. And the, the angle I was sitting. So like it looked like I had a huge stomach. And I'm like shoveling so much food into my mouth for hours. And it, it just looks like uh, like I'm the biggest fat ass ever at the poker table. But uh, in reality, I don't eat that much. Uh, I'll tell you, when I have to pay for the food, I, I don't even order it. That's how cheap I am. Like if I have to pay for the food at the poker table, I actually just go hungry. And if I get it for free like you do at Commerce, uh, I will order enough food to have a meal, but I don't go nuts. And I usually just order one meal and that's it no matter how long I'm there. And that's what I did this time. I ordered uh, actually breakfast and ate the breakfast and that was it. Didn't order anything else. One Step doesn't believe it was the lighting. You know, One Step... Yeah, you can meet me. You, there's a lot of pictures of me. I go look at the pictures of me at the uh, final table last year. You'll see that I don't look like I'm gigantic. Not even close. Someone asking in the chat room, Desert Explore, how can you go to a session and not eat? Yeah, I'm there in a long time. Like I'm there a real long time. So if I'm there a super long time, then I'll I'll break down and get something. But uh, I really try to avoid ordering food if I have to pay for it. Uh, Forum War is asking, aren't you worried about touching the infected cards while eating Druff? Well, yes, but I I, I try to keep, uh, you know, using those wipes on my hands, and I I go to the, I try not to touch my eyes. uh, I try not to, you know, touch the food directly with the same hand of touching the cards. I try, and, you know, if I get sick, I get sick. The the truth is, you go to poker rooms, uh, there's a lot of germs there, all over the chips, all over everything. It's very hard to play a long poker session without getting germs into your body. Whether they actually get you sick is a different story, but there's a, there's a lot of germs there at the poker table. It's a very, very easy place to get sick. So if, if you're that worried about it, you just shouldn't play. 
So I, I don't get bent out of shape with that sort of thing. I, I try to do what I can to avoid it, but uh, at the same time, I'm not going to go hungry. So, you know, as to reduce my chance of getting sick. All right, so I, people in the chat room actually complaining I talked about David Baker too long, and I probably did, but that's all I'm going to talk about him unless anything further happens. And he hasn't tweeted anything about me in the last two days, and I haven't tweeted about him, so I think it's probably over. One thing, David Baker's not a forum guy. Uh, he's not someone who wants a long back and forth online. Uh, I don't think he wants vendettas. I don't think he wants... Uh, Enemies. He's just not that type. I don't like him, but I don't think he's that type. So, this may be the end of it. Hopefully, it is. All right, let's talk about something that has nothing to do with me. I've spent the whole beginning of the show talking about myself, and there's more about me later in the show. And for those of you who don't listen all the time here, I don't talk about myself this much on this show. In fact, there's many shows where I don't talk about myself at all. But this one, it just happens a number of things occurred in the same week that are about me, that I think are relevant. But I'm going to go to a topic now that has nothing to do with me. It's about a site, an upcoming site called Breakout Gaming. And uh, this is an interesting story. So, uh, as you guys know, Bitcoin, which has really become pretty well-known in the general public now, it's a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, you can buy a Bitcoin for almost 500 bucks. It's been pretty stable around that for quite some time. It's it's jumped all around in value from as low as like, you know, less than five bucks all the way up to 1200, but... It's been pretty stable around the 500 range for quite some time. Not surprisingly, people have set up sites where you can gamble Bitcoin. So, there has been a question that uh, about the gambling, is it legal? Is Bitcoin gambling legal? Forget Bitcoin poker, any kind of gambling with Bitcoin, is it legal? On one hand, you can say Bitcoin is not a real currency. It's just something made up online. I mean, you can gamble the poker fraud alert play chips legally because they're worth nothing. So why can you play the poker fraud alert play chips legally and not Bitcoin if Bitcoin is also just uh, an online currency that means nothing and has not t- no ties to any kind of real currency? Well, my feeling about it is because Bitcoin now has such a widely accepted value, because it is so easy to convert Bitcoin into cash and cash into Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin pretty much is a currency at this point, even not an official one, but it is, and gambling Bitcoin is just like gambling money. If you can buy in with real money and then win Bitcoin and then cash out real money, it's gambling. That's my opinion. We have not seen any kind of case law about that yet. We haven't seen anyone busted yet for running any kind of Bitcoin gambling site, but it might happen. It's up to the federal government whether they want to bust someone or not. But that's not really what the segment's about. 
there is a new Bitcoin related venture that uh, is called Breakout Gaming. Now, notice it's not Breakout Poker, it's actually Breakout Gaming. So, what is Breakout Gaming? Well, it's being pitched as an online gambling site, and it's going to have its own private currency called the Breakout Coin, which is a BRO, a bro, <laughs> a Breakout Coin. I don't know why it's not BRC, but it's BRO. And it's going to offer poker, casino games, and fantasy sports. No sports betting, but fantasy sports, all on the same site. This is what the press release said. The press release said. An in-house web-based exchange seamlessly converts Bitcoin to breakout coin with a cold storage solution to protect the currency, avoiding the opportunity for hackers to enter the servers. Breakout gaming site will feature 88 different casino games, including the popular Texas Hold'em, open-faced Chinese poker, in addition to a custom-built fantasy sports betting platform. Now, they're claiming in their press release that the reason for these breakout coins is so they don't have to store the Bitcoin in a place they can be hacked. Because once a Bitcoin gets stolen, there's nothing you can do. So they're saying what you're going to do is uh, you're going to exchange your Bitcoin for breakout coins, and then you can exchange them back. And that's to prevent hackers from entering the servers. That's a bunch of nonsense. I'll tell you the real reason they're doing it, and they don't want to say it. The real reason they're making this breakout coin is to eliminate the Bitcoin speculation angle from Bitcoin gambling. Let's look at a traditional Bitcoin poker site. Just any of them. I'm not naming any particular site. Just just any Bitcoin poker site. Your currency on that site is a fraction of... Bitcoin. It's directly related to Bitcoin. So whatever chips you have on that site represents how many Bitcoin you have. And if the if you don't play, let's say you sit there for a week and don't play on that site, if the value of Bitcoin goes up, you've just made money without playing a hand of poker. If the value of Bitcoin goes down, you've just lost money without playing a hand of poker. And what might be the most maddening is if you win money on the site but Bitcoin goes down, you could actually still lose. Or the reverse could happen. You could lose money playing poker and Bitcoin goes up and you win. So it looks like what Breakout Gaming is doing here is they're taking that aspect out of it. They're letting you buy in with Bitcoin. But at that point, your Breakout coin does not directly correspond to Bitcoin. But you say, wait a minute, but you can cash it back out as Bitcoin. So yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Because they will change the exchange rate with Bitcoin going up and down. So they can actually hold it uh, at something uh, that's, that's pretty constant according to what, uh, and I'm saying the value of breakout coins and its real money equivalent, they can hold it constant by just changing the value of a breakout coin uh, every time Bitcoin changes value. And I'm, I assume that's what they're going to do. And by doing this, they are preventing Bitcoin speculation from occurring and they don't have to speculate with Bitcoin. This way, when you buy in with Bitcoin, if they want, they can cash out their Bitcoin. And when you cash out with Bitcoin, if they want, they can go repurchase the Bitcoin and give it to you. And this way, they don't have to hold a lot of Bitcoin. 
and they are not risking a Bitcoin crash ruining them or ruining you because they're they're really just taking the Bitcoin for buying in and buying out and not holding it, and neither are you. I assume that's probably what's going on here. So the only reason Bitcoin is involved is making it easy to deposit so they don't have to use some sort of shady processor for U.S. dollars to get in there. And more importantly, they think they're not breaking the same UIGEA laws that processing U.S. dollars would be. So they think this is legal while processing U.S. cash deposits, you know, whether it's by electronic funds transfer or credit card or whatever, is definitely illegal. And they're definitely going to jail for running a site like that and offering it to U.S. players. So they think they're going to do the exact same thing except use Bitcoin to buy in and out. But the currency you're going to be betting is not even a Bitcoin. You're going to be betting the breakout coin, which is a, they'll claim is a currency that's just a, a valueless currency. Well, first of all, I don't buy that legally. Because it looks like what they're doing here is tying it even more to U.S. dollars than the traditional Bitcoin betting sites. Because if, if they're taking the Bitcoin speculation out of it and tying it to some sort of constant value, then really what they're doing is tying it directly to cash without admitting that's what they're doing. And the feds aren't stupid. The feds will see that. And I think they can get in some trouble. And more importantly, they're still offering gambling for real money to U.S. residents. Now, the fantasy sports is not a big deal because that's actually illegal to gamble on. But everything else, the poker and the casino games, are illegal if you do not have a license to do so. And in most states, it's illegal completely. So... I think this is a mistake. I think this is asking for getting in trouble. And if this really does succeed and become big, then this could create a wave which crashes down upon all the Bitcoin sites. And this might be the catalyst to the government, which has been so far not taking any action against the Bitcoin gambling site. This could make them do it. So this is very risky. Now, Who might be behind this site? Well, it's not really known who is actually building it and managing it, but it is known to a degree who is investing in it. Here's a picture from their site. It says, who is is behind Breakout Coin? Breakout Coin development is being funded by Breakout Gaming, a revolutionary new gaming platform Breakout Coin will be the first to use Bergstake, an innovative consensus algorithm which solves many issues with traditional proof-of-stake. Break, Breakout Gaming has commissioned Jay Berg, the inventor of Bergstake, to oversee the design, development, implementation of the Breakout Coin. Not exactly sure what they're trying to say there, but whatever. Breakout Gaming's professional backers include such poker greats as Johnny Chan, Ted Forrest, Todd Brunson, Jennifer Harmon, David Benjamin, and others. And then they have a picture of the backers, and there's some additional players. So here's here's the people pictured in their weird breakout coin uh, investors photo, which is like a collage of all these guys together. Actually, all these guys and one girl. Uh, kind of poorly put together. It seems like, like a really bad Photoshopper 
not even Photoshop, or like someone used MS Paint to put this thing together. But the order depicts Johnny Chan, Todd Brunson, Ted Forrest, David Benjamin, Lane Flack, Jeffy Lissandro, Huck Seed, Toto Leonidas, Vladimir Shklimev, and Jennifer Harmon. Hmm. Now, this seems like a great idea. A site that you can trust because a bunch of big-name poker pros are backing it and putting their faces on it. And you know that this is a site that's never going to steal your money or do anything shady because all of these trusted pros are behind it. Where have we heard this before? Come on, make it happen. You can do it. Come on, take it down. Watch out, watch out. No, no. Yes. Booyah. Beautiful. <laughs> what are you doing? Night is still young. That's what I'm talking about. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stupid. Such an idiot. We play at FullTiltPoker.com. Yeah. I think I've heard of this before. I, I, th- I think I won't play another one. I think we've heard of this happening before. A bunch of pros getting together and funding a new concept in online poker. Hmm. Even some of the same people. Jennifer Harmon was part of Full Tilt. David Benjamin was part of Full Tilt. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with Full Tilt. I'm not saying it's the Full Tilt people, but, you know, Ted Forrest had to do with UB. So, this uh, this group is actually led by, uh, or not led by, it's associated with uh, Las Vegas gaming attorney David Gzesh. And uh, David Gzesh, he, he doesn't like this being known, but he was the CEO and creator of True Poker in 2001. He was the owner. He's not anymore, but he was. He was the guy originally behind True Poker. I dealt with him personally back in 2001. David G-Z-E-S-H. Gzesh. So, uh, he's involved in this too. David, I, I guess the most recent thing David Gzesh has been involved in is he was an attempted scam victim by Michael Borowitz at the Las Vegas airport. <laughs> and it's true. He's the one who brought that whole thing to the forefront. Uh, he didn't end up getting scammed. He ended up not giving the guy the money, but uh, he's the one who brought it out. Nothing against David Zesh, but uh, that's who he is, the original owner of True Poker. And... Now, I have a, before I continue this story, I'm seeing in the chat room, S double ask you over and over, Druff, what was your last mistake at commerce? I, I don't know what he's trying to ask me here. What was my last mistake at commerce? I mean, is he asking, did I make any mistakes at the table in 21 hours there? Yeah, I probably did. But it's hard not to. I don't, I don't know what he's trying to ask. What was my last mistake? Anyway. Let's go back to breakout gaming. 
So Breakout Gaming has all these pros backing it, probably with money and probably... It's probably a combination of money and also just to have their names associated with it so people will trust them. Now, the initial coin offering, what they're calling it, will be the time you can buy into the site, when you can buy in the breakout coins. But you can't right now. They're claiming it'll occur sometime in October. And that sometime between September 20th and 22nd, they will make a final announcement of the breakout coin details and the initial coin offering price. ICO, they're calling it. Almost like the stock uh, stock offering. It'll be in the official announcement. And the purchase window to buy breakout coins is between October 4th and 18th. So, uh, this is just really weird. Uh, there's also some talk of how you can mine the breakout coins for use on the site and some other I, I have no idea what they're doing. I it's I should say it's my assumption that they're gonna be using the breakout coins to stabilize what people are buying in and out for. So this way they're not speculating in Bitcoin. That's just my guess. I shouldn't say that's for sure they haven't announced that, but that's my that's why I think they're doing the whole thing about the initial coin offering that they're gonna they're probably gonna come out and say, Okay, you can buy this many breakout coins for this many Bitcoin. That's our price right now, buy in and then later on, they'll say, okay, the price has changed. But I bet they're going to tie it directly to Bitcoin's value. So it's really just you speculating in Bitcoin yourself if you hold on to them waiting to buy. It's like, I don't think the price of a breakout coin is going to change that much in relation to Bitcoin. Or should I say out of relation to Bitcoin. Now, just like any good online poker site, of course, there's already a scandal. Of course, they haven't even opened shop yet, and there's already ready, there's already a small scandal. You might ask, uh, what is that scandal? Well, of course, social media is pretty big these days. Very big. And uh, they have a Twitter account, and they have a Facebook page. Despite being a very new site, despite the fact that nobody knew about Breakout Poker, or no, Breakout Gaming, up until a few days ago, amazingly, they had 40,000 likes and 12,000 followers on Twitter. So when you see that, you feel like you must be on the outside looking in. You feel like everyone in the poker world must have known about this except you. That they must have really uh, had a, a large test market group or a large marketing campaign that you missed and you've been in the dark. But no. Of those actually 11,900 Twitter followers on Breakout Gaming... The number of real Twitter followers who are not bots or phony accounts would be 72. <laughs> no, not, not 7,200, not 720, but 
but 72. 72 out of 11,900 Twitter followers are real, or were real as of the, uh, the time this was checked out. Now, how is this known? Well, what happened was uh, a site called Twitter Audit can be used to verify whether Twitter followers are real. Because a lot of uh, companies like to prop up their followers with bots, with phony accounts, where they hire services to do it for them. And they don't have any, they don't have very many real human followers. So despite having over 11,900 followers, Breakout Poker only had 72 accounts that Twitter audit said were real, meaning over 99% were fake. That's pretty bad. What about Facebook? How did they get 40,000 likes? Well, it looks like the same thing. Uh, A Filipino company was involved in... uh, Inflating their likes with phony accounts on on, Twitter, on Facebook. So basically, the people watching this realized that they created phony interest in their sites on Twitter and Facebook with bots, with phantom accounts. Now that's not the worst thing in the world. Someone probably made the strategic decision to make it look like they already had somewhat of a following so you don't go to their Twitter account and see that they have 10 followers. I can understand that, but at the same time, it's already off to a bad start. It's already a sign of dishonesty. It's already a sign of we're going to do what's best for us and not what is actually honest. Now, not that I care how many followers they have or how many likes they have on Facebook, but it's just not honest. And it's a, that's the last thing we need at this point is a site that is not acting honestly. I'm not saying that they're not going to be an honest site. I'm not saying that they are shady. I'm not saying that they are thieves. I'm just saying that this is not a good start. And I'm saying that the person behind this whole thing is not very bright and is not thinking these things through. The reason I'm saying this is because, or I shouldn't say he's not very bright, but he's not very experienced. Because if you're experienced with the online poker community, you realize how many scandals we've been through and how tech-savvy people on the forums are. And it's unbelievable that they thought that they would get away with stuffing their Twitter account and Facebook with likes and not get caught. I mean, it, it defies common sense. If you're going to do this, at least wait some time after you've been around a while where it might be believable. But don't just show up on the scene and all of a sudden you have 11,900 followers on Twitter and 40,000 Facebook likes. It doesn't make any sense. People say, wait, this fails the sanity check. And then they run sites like Twitter Audit where I don't think you're running Twitter Audit on PokerStars or other sites that you would expect to have a lot of followers. So if PokerStars snuck additional fake followers on there, you'd never know because you'd never think of checking. But this site stupidly does this from the beginning And they think no one's going to question it, especially in a community full of people who are smart enough and in tune enough and technologically savvy enough to notice this and catch it and prove it. So that's not a good start, and it's not knowing the community well. Now, you might wonder, would I play on this site? Let's say this site becomes successful, and I have my doubts, but let's say it becomes successful. 
Let's say it gets a lot of traffic. Let's say I see it has good limit hold'em games running. Would I play on there? Well, first I'd want to know more about it. First I'd need to understand it better. I'd have to understand better who is behind it. I'd have to understand better where the Bitcoin are being held, how we know that they really exist, and this isn't full tilt part two. I'd have to know a little bit more. And I definitely would not keep very much on the site. If I did play there, I would definitely do the buy-in the minimum I need and expect that I'll probably bust a few times and have to rebuy strategy and cash out whenever I win strategy. And I don't mean cash out if I win a little bit, but you know, if I have a good session and, and win something substantial, then I'd probably cash it out right away. This is definitely not the site to roll up a lot of money. Now, I have a feeling it's going to be a failure. And the reason I think it's going to be a failure is, first of all, they're making it needlessly complicated. Nobody wants to deal with uh, initial coin offerings or any BS like that. It's, they're making something unnecessary complica- unnecessarily complicated when it's supposed to be simple. And that's, again, where they were making mistakes. Online gamblers, especially casual online gamblers, want it to be simple. They want it to be easy to get their money online easy to play, and easy to get their money offline. They don't want complications or long sign-up processes or long verification processes or difficulty getting the money on and off or confusion in how to get the money on and off or this BS with initial coin offerings and other... It looks like the whole thing's too convoluted and, and complicated, to be honest. Not for me. Not for anyone who is well-versed in these sorts of things, but for the general public. And that's who you're aiming this at. You're trying to get the general public on there. You're not necessarily going for the major poker grinders. You need them too, but you also need fish in the game. Because the major poker grinders are not going to play all day against each other. They're, They're wanting fish on the site. They want amateurs on the site who need it to be easy. And so far, I don't know how easy it's going to be. Because it's already looking complicated. Now, maybe I'll be wrong when it comes up, but... It's already looking complicated. So that's one concern. Another concern is they may get busted. And you may never get your money. I think people are getting spoiled with eventually getting their money back from full tilt and with poker stars paying right away. And I I think the general belief is if, if the government seizes an illegal gambling site that you get your money back, provided the money exists. But what I could easily see happening here is the government does not give it back because it's actually just bitcoins. Or the government just chooses not to give it back. Maybe they choose not to give it back because it's just bitcoin and they don't think there'll be as much of a fallout from not giving it back as if they just kept cash. The government gave everybody's back money back on full tilt Not because they wanted to, but because they felt they had to or the public would be too pissed that they are confiscating so much money from innocent U.S. citizens who just wanted to play poker. But someone who goes through a whole process of buying these breakout coins with Bitcoin, blah, 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 I can see the government saying, screw it, we're just shutting the whole thing down and whoever had money on here, too bad. So you have to worry about that too, that they get busted. And I could see this... And the 
what appears to be the general expansion of Bitcoin gaming to be the straw that breaks the camel's back to where this and other Bitcoin sites will get busted. This will not go on forever. The Bitcoin sites are either eventually going to get busted or they will go obsolete when enough legalized options for U.S. gaming exists. But I think they're going to get busted eventually. I don't, I don't see this in, in 5, 10 years still around. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I just don't see this. I, I think that we're going to have busts that just appear out of nowhere and people, a lot of people are going to get in trouble, and that'll be that. And everyone's going to be afraid to run these, except outside the U.S. They'll still do it. So I, I don't think you can run a site like this aimed at U.S. players for the long term and get away with it. That's just my belief on this one. So I think that this may happen as well. Danzo saying in chat, Druff is going ham. Don't know what he means by that. So we will see what happens with Breakout Gaming. If I do run into one of their investors, I'll try to ask them about it. You might wonder, how did these investors get involved? Like, what do they do? They just approach Jennifer Harmon and say, hey, this seems like a good idea Will you put money into it? I mean, it may be something like that. It may be something like they approached a few players, said, hey, if you know anyone who might want to invest, let them do it. And I mean, they took money from Lane Flack, who's a scumbag who is friendly with Russ Hamilton. So apparently they'll take money from anyone. I mean, he's not exactly someone you'd want to be promoting involved with your site. But they, they kind of seem... Seem a little bit confused over there at Breakout Coin. I think they need some better management. And I think the whole concept is is just not going to work out. I think it's just, there's not much marketing behind it. They don't seem to be spending money to advertise. Even if they do, I think the Bitcoin angle is going to confuse people and the converting Bitcoin to another coin is going to confuse people. Like I, I think this is just making it worse. Like a, that traditional Bitcoin gambling site, at least if you understand the Bitcoin part, from that point, it's easy. You send your Bitcoin to them. They go, okay, here's your chips. Each chip represents, represents whatever fraction of a Bitcoin. Go to town. When you're ready to cash out, we'll give you that many Bitcoin. Like, it's easy. Not as easy as depositing cash, but it's fairly easy. But th- this sounds like it's too complicated. All right, so the Discovery Channel ran three shows and uh, I want to talk about them because they actually aired let's see here there we are just finding my notes about it I know I know I should have had it ready Anyway, I talked about this last week and how someone criticized the poker part of being uh, stupid and unrealistic, especially the New Orleans element of it. But let me tell you what I saw the other shows first. The show Hustling the House. Now, I'll I'll describe the way it was uh, presented in the press release. Uh, Hustling the House... 
it said this. Casinos, lotteries, and bookies all use math and science to stack the deck against you. Now you can fight back in hustling the house. Get the scoop that the house does not want you to have. So, I watched it. I turned it on about 20 minutes late, but I watched the rest of it. I turned it on to see Andy Block attempting to give advice for Blackjack, which is fine. Andy Block is a very knowledgeable guy in Blackjack. He was part of the MIT card counting team. He's a smart guy. I mean, he's a good person to ask for Blackjack advice. No question about that. But he was not teaching you how to card count. They were teaching you this weird poor poor man's version of card counting. And I understand that you can't teach people how to card count in what's supposed to be an entertaining one-hour show, minus commercials. Uh, If you taught someone how to card count on TV, it would be a very tedious show that would only really benefit those who seriously want to learn. Everyone else would find it very boring. So they came up with a very uh, TV version of card counting, shall I say, a very poor man's version, basically telling you to sit down at a table if you see a bunch of small cards exposed on the current hand. If you walk by a table and see a bunch of small cards out on the table, then sit down there. (laughs) The reason they're saying that is because the basis of card counting is that when there's a lot of big cards left in the deck, then the player has the advantage, which is true. And if there's a lot of small cards disproportionately left in the deck, then the advantage is further with the house. than you know, so, so the big advantage of the house, if they have a lot of small cards left, the big advantage of the player is with if, you, if there's the big cards left in the deck proportionately. So that's what card counting is. You sit down and basically count, have there been more big cards coming out or small cards coming out? And if it's been more small cards coming out, then that means there's more big ones left. It means you're at an advantage and you kick your bets up. Now, this still only gives you like a 1% edge, but... It's better than no edge or better than negative edge. But what they're telling you to do on TV is just if you see a bunch of cards out there on the table that are small, when you walk by, sit down at the table. Now, this is terrible advice for two reasons. First of all, if it's a six or eight deck shoe, or a continuous shuffler especially, this means little to nothing. Because you're just seeing a very small fraction of the deck out there, so this could just be totally random, and in the grand scheme of things with the deck, it means almost nothing as far as your edge there. The other problem is that it's possible, and in fact it's probable, that these small cards you're seeing are because there was a disproportionate number of big cards earlier. So the big cards came out earlier, and now here are the small cards to kind of even them out. So you might even still be playing in a worse-than-average deck and not realize it. The only way to know is to have been there from the beginning and watch all the cards come out, and if you see if it's more small ones, then you sit down. Then I can at least see as a reasonable poor man's card-counting advice. It still has its problems, but at least you can base that upon something real. But just, you walk by and see some small cards on the table, that doesn't mean you should sit down. Unfortunately, the show said, and this is what the narrator said, that you will have the house on the run with such a strategy. Meaning the house is going to be at a disadvantage. They didn't say that directly, but he said, you do this and the house will be on the run. Absolutely awful, and I hope that Andy Block is ashamed to be associated with this nonsense. I'm sure they paid him, probably not that much, but 
I hope he didn't think that's what they were doing. He didn't explain this, by the way. He, the things he said were all true, but then they went on to explain the stuff about the small cards at the table, and it was just awful. So that was hustling the house at 8 p.m. Later in the show, I forgot to tell you, uh, later in the show they also gave you some craps advice. The craps advice was just very standard stuff that most people know. Mainly that the laying odds bet is the best bet you can make at a craps table. It's not an advantage bet, it's an even bet. It's an even money bet. So when you're laying odds at the craps table, which is is basically after a point is established, uh, you're betting on that point itself and laying odds, uh, you're getting exactly the odds that that will be rolled. So in the long run, you'll totally break even, not win, not lose. So that's the best bet you can make at a craps table, even though it's still an even bet. So, Eric... Actually, I'm giving it away here. So they had a craps expert come on to tell you this and other things about craps. Now, who is this craps expert? Is it anyone that you may have heard of that might be associated with a game of craps? No. The craps expert was a woman named Erica Lindgren. <laughs> yeah. Erica Lindgren, a noted craps expert. I've never heard of that before in my life. I, th- yes, it's that Erica Lindgren, a.k.a. Erica Schonberg, who married Eric Lindgren. She is now the craps expert. It's like, it's like she was just looking for work here. Maybe, I don't know, Andy Block told her. I don't know what the hell happened here, but somehow... She wanted to be on the show, and that's the job they gave her. It said, here, talk about craps. And she went and consulted Wikipedia or something. And <laughs> or, you know, maybe she found out from Eric. He's probably a degenerate who plays craps. So, uh, Beer and Poker said in the thread about this, Erica Lindgren is no expert at anything except for flirting with poker pros. <laughs> uh, yeah, they also had a horrible horse racing segment, so the whole thing was awful. This hustling the house. And then this uh, Casino Secrets. Let me get to that. That, that was the second show. Next up is Casino Secrets at 9 p.m. Every single detail in a casino is designed to keep the gambler from leaving. The longer that the gambler stays, the more likely the gambler is to lose money. In Casino Secrets, insiders reveal the hidden world of high rollers. From the true odds of roulette to the inner workings of a slot machine, the truth is about to come out. So, uh, a lot of it was very straightforward stuff about, you know, the more hands you play, the more you're going to lose. They gave a dumb tutorial about roulette that uh, if there's... A double zero, there's worse odds than just having a single zero. Uh, All kinds of stupidity there. That's very obvious. Uh, And before I go in further, I'll take this phone call. Call you're on the air. Caller, hello. Uh, Hung up on me, all right. Caller, you're not on the air. So Casino Secrets had a guy on there, a supposed casino host named Steve Sear, C-Y-R. And, and this guy actually has written a book. What was it called? It was called something about whales. Uh, Whale Hunt in the Desert. Here's the description of the book. I'll try this call one more time. Call, you're on the air. 
Yeah, hey, uh, quick question. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. What's the question? All right, uh, I'm going to ask this question and hang up. So you're always talking about how you're seven stars at Caesars, and you talk a lot about blackjack, but you won't tell anybody what games you play at the casino. So I was wondering if uh, you would tell them. Thanks. I will. Thank you for your call. So, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, what games I play, uh, but I'll do it after this, uh, this segment. But I'll tell you right after the segment's over. Steve Sear wrote a book called Whale Hunt in the Desert, and here's how it's described. And the reason I'm getting to Steve Sear is he was prominently featured on the second show called Casino Secrets. Whale Hunt in the Def- Desert it divulges the unbridled lengths to which casinos go to bag the world's biggest gamblers, the whales. This definitive expose reveals the shrouded world of ultra-high rollers and the Faustian packs they forge for their hosts, the casino representatives whose job it is to part them from their fortunes. Well, um, is he the one who wrote this? I I thought he is. This is a different person who was written. Duke Castleman. I think it's the... uh, Oh, I I see. So Duke Castleman, I guess, is... uh, uh, interviewed Steve Sear, but he was he was a big part of this book. I never read it, but whatever. I heard about this book that there's a lot of uh, a lot of BS in it. I heard there's a lot of exaggerations. I heard that Steve Sear is basically a show off and a liar, and doesn't bother to really tell the truth. He he plays fast and loose with the truth to make things sound good. So you had Steve Sear on there, who's identified as a casino host, which he really isn't. He's more of an independent host. And these do exist. There are independent hosts out there who develop relationships with various casinos. They don't work with one casino. And they bring in people, not just whales, but also uh, fairly big players, but you know, just moderately, like kind of medium to very large players they'll bring in. But they'll have deals with the casinos like, I'll bring you players, you give me a piece of their action. Casinos have their own hosts, but they know that outside hosts can do well for them as well. All they want is to get the gamblers in there. So if they know of a good independent host, they'll work with them too. So that exists, and that's what Steve Sear is. He's an independent host. Uh, He seems to exaggerate plenty in this special. I I just didn't believe a lot of the crap he was saying. And people say this about his book. Uh, In fact... Here's a review from Amazon of this whale hunting book. The main character, he is a character, he is a caricature and might seem to be made up. And he kind of is. If you watch this show, you'll see the Steve Sear guy really seems like a caricature of a Vegas host. And uh, Jay Stat saying that, that Dee Castleman is uh, Curtis's Huntington Press editor. Uh, Anthony Curtis, he's referring to. So, uh, anyway... The Steve Sear is, I, I believe, really an independent host, but he also realized that there's money in exaggerating stories. And in fact, what was annoying to me was seeing him talk about some of his whales that are currently supposedly with him. And he's putting them down and he's saying, you know, my purpose is to separate this guy from all his money. He's not going to say that. If he's making so much money from bringing whales to the casinos... All they have to do is watch this, and they're never going to go with him again. He, he's basically calling all of his customers a bunch of chumps. 
which if he's making this much money as an independent casino host from all these whales, is the worst thing you can do. Because what these whales want from their host is not someone who acts like they're trying to take their money. The host is supposed to act as the person's friend, as their advocate, as someone who's going to get them the most they can from the casino, as someone who's going to negotiate comps on their behalf, almost like an agent they see them, almost like a gambling agent. And if your gambling agent is going to go on TV and even if they don't name you specifically and say that you're a chump and that they're saying whatever you want to hear so they can take all your money, uh, no one's going to use this guy. Steve Searle will go to a whale and say, hey, I, I want to bring you to the win. And the whale is going to say, hey, you were just saying on TV you're trying to get me to lose all my money. You're trying to trick me. You're, you're trying to uh, do whatever you can to have the casino take everything I own. F you. So I don't even know if I believe Steve Sear even really works anymore in this industry. I think maybe he just uh, makes his money on his books and his speeches and whatever else he does. And I think a lot of what he's saying, it's exaggerations. I don't know this for sure. Nobody knows except for him. But uh, the whole thing struck me as very phony. So while there was some okay advice for super amateurs to gambling... That was a useless show. So let's get into the Phil Locke and Antonio part. But before that, uh, let's take a call here. Call you on the air. Yo, it's Wolf. Yeah, Wolf. What's going on? Man, I've actually uh, got a buddy here that wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Hold on one second. Watch, it's going to be Slim T. Hi, man. This is Slim T. I knew it. I knew Slim T was coming. All right. Slim T, what's going on? Man, I done been on the pewter here lately, and I done read a lot about is is, and I need to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know them bastards out there beheading people in the sand. I believe I got a way to take them out, Drew. Okay, so you 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 want to uh, take out ISIS? Uh, how, how should we do that? Well, you know what we need is about. <clears throat> I done read. I don't know what they got like twenty thousand or thirty thousand guys. Mm-hmm. I believe I need about two hundred squirrel hunters from the south. <laughs> okay, I'm talking. I ain't talking about guys that go out and hunt squirrels with some rat shot. I mean guys that hunt squirrels with their bare goddamn hands and with moonshine. And that's all I need. And I'm telling you, half of us is gonna die, but we gonna win because we're gonna take dogs and hogs to the sand. And we're going to turn the sand into manure and, and good dirt, and we're going to grow watermelons. And uh, once we give out the melons, we're going to turn the Middle East into an orgy instead of a goddamn war fest. That's what's going to happen. Okay. All right, so Slim T wants to take squirrel countries there to the Middle East, and um, yeah, who knows, it might work. Uh, all right, anything else, Slim T? Right, man. I was wondering how you overall did in the, in the damn World Series, for real. What was your overall payday? Did you win or lose? No, nah, it was a big loss. I I, uh, I mean, a huge loss. I didn't play that many events. But uh, you lose the main event, you lose the 10K uh, limit, and uh, you're in bad shape. So that's what happened. How uh, was the competition, my man? Yeah, well, I, I, I cashed in the 1,500 limit, but not for, I min-cashed, and it was disappointing because I had a whole lot of chips at one point, and then... Just went downhill. It took some bad beats. You know the way it goes. So, all right. Anyway, uh, yeah, well, you know, since I, since I called you on that shooting, you know, there's been a lot of heat in Birmingham. Oh, really? 
Oh, man, if anybody wants to look up on Google, they'll find all kinds of hate. So it's been kind of funny, man. Detective Grimes done gone everywhere and just busted everybody. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for calling in uh, Raw Wolf and uh, Slim T and whoever else, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Ow! Okay. All right. So Antonio and Phil Locke. They teamed up to do a show about playing in underground poker rooms in New Orleans. I'm going to confess I didn't watch the whole thing. I I watched parts of it. It it wasn't very watchable. And after sitting through those two awful casino shows, I didn't have patience. (laughs) I I really didn't have patience. If I could have found it online today, I was going to force myself to watch the entire thing and then pick the best segments for the show, and then I couldn't find it online. So the parts I saw were very contrived. I, I saw them pulling up to this like swamp-like uh, area residence and they're like, oh, look at that mailbox. I don't like the looks of this place. It was really contrived. It was really, really contrived for TV. The whole thing was contrived. And I, I had trouble getting through it. It, it, it wasn't interesting, first of all. And second, uh, it wasn't contrived. And I, I think what people were saying not people, but there's a guy who posted about it who had heard about the show in production saying that they're just trying to fall back to typical New Orleans stereotypes for the people they're playing against is true. So the whole thing did not look uh, authentic to me. This is on the Discovery Channel, by the way. and I don't even know if there's another episode. I assume there is, but was not impressed with the show. I don't think it's going to last very long. I, I think that Antonio and Phil are not known enough outside of poker to really draw people. Like, they're known in poker for sure, but outside of poker, I don't think that they're celebrities by any means. Even like Phil Helmuth, you know, we all know him really well, but you ask the average person on the street about Phil Helmuth, they probably don't know him. They probably don't know who that is. So, Phil and Antonio obviously much less known than Phil Helmuth. And I, I just don't think outside of poker that they're going to have a big fan base. And I think people in poker are going to see this whole thing as being contrived and stupid and aren't going to watch again. So I think it's going to be a failure, but we'll see. Uh, Beer and Poker saying, it's 10 p.m. cable, Braj. They will give anyone a show. That might be true. Maybe I should try to get one. So, as you would expect following two crappy casino shows on Discovery that the poker show was also going to be awful. Forbet in chat saying, agree, it was awful, so fake. Someone wrote on 2 Plus 2, it was a bunch of Teamsters they were playing against that don't even play poker. They were just hired for this episode. So very, very uh, non-authentic. And I, I wanted to play clips of it to make fun of it, but I couldn't find any clips without paying $2, and it's not worth $2. Like, I really watched the show, I go, this is not worth $2. It's just not. Like, in principle, I can't pay $2 for this crap. And nothing against Phil Locke. I like the guy, but it, I'm not paying $2 for it. All right, next topic. Oh, another Bitcoin topic. Nitrogen Sports, probably haven't heard of them. Nitrogen Sports is going to uh, open up another Bitcoin poker room 
when I say another, I don't mean that they have one. I mean that there now are going to be several out, out there. Nitrogen Sports is actually one of the main Bitcoin sports books. And starting on Thursday, this Thursday, they're going to start offering online poker to its customers. This may not be a bad place to play if it can get going, provided you trust them. Because sportsbook people, you know, sports bettors are notoriously bad poker players. I mean, really, really awful poker players. You want to play against sports bettors. I'm telling you, the worst poker players I've played against in my life are sports bettors. Now, poker players who bet sports are not necessarily bad, but sports bettors who then try to play poker are awful. Universally. So, this will be interesting. Maybe I will give this thing a shot if it's if people are that bad. Uh, they're actually using proprietary software that's being developed by a company called Cubea, based in Sweden. Cubea claims they provide games to BWIN and microgaming. And they claim that their uh, accounting software has been licensed by Unibet. But uh, you won't be playing against those players. You'll only be against uh, the Bitcoin players. But anyway, starting September 18th, this Thursday, you will be able to play poker on the Nitrogen Sports site. There's also various other Bitcoin sites out there, but this is the new one. And of course, then eventually there will be this uh, breakout gaming. Uh, let's see, what's next? Oh, the Wall Street Journal. How can I forget? i got to talk about myself again. So, I was called by the Wall Street Journal in May. This shows you how long. You know, you read an article in the paper and you just assume they kind of researched it like, I don't know, last week or a few days ago. You don't picture that some of these articles, especially fairly short articles, had research that was dating back many months. But here May, which is four months ago, I got a call from the author of this article who had already done plenty of research here. So I got a call on, uh, I think it was May 11th. And the author of this uh, of this Wall Street Journal article, which appeared today, but he hadn't written the article yet, he was just researching it. His name was Brad Reagan. He, uh, he wanted to ask me about Dan Bilzerian. It was really strange. I get this call from the Wall Street Journal. A guy wants to talk to me, and I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be about these scandals. I, I was shocked when I heard it was about Dan Bilzerian, of all people, who I don't even know very well. And I was honest with him. I said, I don't know the guy very well. I have very little to tell you. Why are you calling me, of all people? And he said, well, I saw a post on some forum where you talked about an experience you had with Dan Bilzerian in Lake Tahoe in 2007. I said, yeah, I did. He said, okay, well, then I have some questions for you. I said, okay, ask your questions. So he asked me, how is Dan Bilzerian viewed in poker? And I I said, Dan is pretty well liked. There's not really any bad stories about him, no stories of him cheating or anything. Just, uh, uh, and some people like his blunt and tell it like it is persona. Others wish they could live his lifestyle. The, 
Yeah, that's basically how he's viewed. So he said, does the poker community believe he made his money through his poker play? I said, nobody believes that. I said, it's assumed that he came in with family money. Uh, he's not regarded as a fish. He's seen as a fairly good player who wants to play big, but not someone who's a huge winner uh, unless he's winning in these uh, private games he claims to play in against really rich guys. But still, he had to start with that money somewhere, and nobody believes he made it through poker. Everyone believes that he started with a ton of family money and maybe eventually made it into these private games. He asked, do you know anybody who can give any insight into Dan's poker results in his earlier days? It says there's like 2007 or 2008. Yeah, he was trying to figure out if Dan really made the money in poker. I said, I did not know. I wasn't really part of that uh, no limit community. Then he asked me about the Lake Tahoe thing. He says, can you describe what happened in 2007 when you saw Dan in Lake Tahoe? I said that in early 2007, a then unknown Bilzerian was uh, the suitcase guy. They knew that he was known as the suitcase guy at Harvey's Lake Tahoe. The reason people called him the suitcase guy was that he was walking around the casino carrying a suitcase with $100,000 in it. And I, I said that he was complaining that the 510 No Limit game was way too tight, which it was, and he wanted everyone to loosen up and gamble with him. Now, it's not like he was raising every hand and everyone's folding. I was hoping that would happen and I was going to gamble with him. But the problem was uh, he was waiting to loosen up until everyone else loosened up. And that wasn't going to happen. Like everyone, the table needed to be loose in the first place and it wasn't. So like everyone's waiting for the table to get loose and it wasn't. And uh, so he was complaining, come on, where's the play? In the meantime, he's folding every hand too. So he finally just left in frustration saying that nobody wants to gamble. And before he left, I asked, hey, you know, how about we go play heads up 100-200 limit? And he said, uh, no, no, I don't want to play 100-200 limit, but uh, I'll be happy to play 100-200 no limit. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know who this was. There's no chance I'd play an unknown 100-200 no limit, and uh, uh, I wouldn't play anyone that unless they were a huge fish. And still, I, you know, you have to have a huge role to play a game like that, especially heads up. And I only had, you know, $10,000 on me or something there. So there's there's no no chance I could have played that. So uh, that was about it for his questions. And he said, all right, well, I'll let you know when the article comes out. Well, I didn't hear anything for four months. And the article finally came out. I got a contact with the guy yesterday. He sent me an email saying the the article will come out today. And it did. Here's the article. Dan Bilzerian's life of partying and poker. Instagram celebrity, son of ex-corporate raider Paul Bilzerian, flaunts playboy lifestyle and claims $50 million in card winnings. Dan Bilzerian is a social media celebrity for his frequent postings documenting a lifestyle of yachts, sports cars, and nightclubs, but he says one question follows him. Where did his money come from? He isn't eager to clear up the mystery. In an interview at his Hollywood Hills, California home, the 33-year-old says he's often asked about the original source of his money because his father, Paul Bilzerian, earned, quote, hundreds of millions as a corporate raider and has worked for decades to protect his assets from a SEC commission judgment. The younger Mr. Bilzerian says he received money from his father in a trust, but he declines to say how much or what role it had in kickstarting his career gambling. That career has been lucrative by his account. He said he earned $50 million playing poker in a recent stretch of 12 or 14 months. 
Mr. Bilzerian was little known in 2007 when he showed up in a Lake Tahoe, Nevada casino carrying a suitcase stuffed with cash and looking for a game, recalls Todd Wittellis, a Las Vegas-based poker professional. Others, other players dubbed him, quote, suitcase guy. Mr. Bilzerian says that this description of his arrival, quote, sounds right. So I guess they came back to Dan and asked what I had to say about him it was true, and he said, yeah, it sounds right. He says that he has since graduated to ultra-high-stakes private games, often with billionaires, that routinely include seven-figure bets. He said he once flipped a coin for a pile of chips worth about $2.3 million and lost. The $50 million winnings claim strikes some other players as a stretch. I've never heard anything like that, says Bob Bright, a trading firm founder who says he played regularly with Mr. Bilzerian for several years. People are going to believe what they want to believe, Mr. Bilzerian says. He hasn't always been on top. He failed to finish Navy SEAL training. As a poker player in college, he says, he was once so broke that he had to take out a loan on his car, even had to, quote, sell three of my guns. Now his antics with cars, guns, and women wearing bikinis or less have helped him attract more than 4.5 million followers on Instagram. Yeah, I wonder if any of those followers came from the same place as uh, Breakout Gamings. Many of his escapades are body. In April, a video that went viral showed uh, Mr. Bazarian throwing a naked porn actress off the roof of his home and into a pool uh, during a photo shoot for Hustler magazine. She was injured and threatened to sue, bringing a sarcastic reply from a lawyer for Mr. Bazarian. Mr. Bazarian had publicly recounted how he suffered a heart attack in his 20s after a five-day binge of sex, drugs, and gambling. Actor and director Nick Cassavetes, a poker buddy, says he is a guy that lives in a constant state of stimulus, and that seems to be attractive to people. He called Mr. Bilzerian refreshing for being unapologetic about the way he goes about his business. Mr. Cassavetes gave Mr. Bilzerian a cameo in his recent film, The Other Woman. As Paul Bilzerian's long fight with the U.S. government winds down, the former raider frets that adversaries might try to get at him by charging Dan with something. Dan Bilzerian says an IRS investigator has been making inquiries about his income. The IRS declines to comment. I've got a target on my back the size of the state of California, he says, adding that he has nothing to hide. That's the beauty about being above board. You can brag about your winnings. Here are some uh, short interviews with uh, Dan Bilzerian. I mean, uh, here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, his his financial situation. I, I don't know what he paid. I don't know what judgments were made. I, 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 He's talking about his father here. Honestly, I have no idea of what judgments were made against him. How much money he made? How much money he, you know, sheltered off? I, I don't know anything about any of that. I don't even know much about his legal case, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my dad and I, you know, we haven't been very tight, so. Uh, you know, he, he, he does his thing and I do mine and, you know. This kind of contradicts what he said in a Howard Stern interview where it seemed like he was close with his dad. So maybe that's the new claim is he and his dad are not tight anymore or never were. I don't know. Here's another interview. I, I mean, I don't want to get into the, like the exact, uh, you know, figures of all that. Um, you know, but the, I mean, I, I, I did have a trust fund, um, it didn't kick in till a little bit later, um, so I mean, I, you know, I, I've won some money, you know, playing poker. I've made money in business, um, so you know, 
at the end of the day, I mean, whatever people want to say, hey, you know, the guy, you know, has all his money from his trust fund. That you know, that's fine. They can they can say whatever they want. But um, you know, like I told you guys, I've made over fifty million dollars gambling. So, see, the problem, the reason people don't believe this is that nobody is known to have made fifty million dollars playing poker. Nobody. And if Dan Bilzerian had done this, independent of his father's money, this would have been known. And it's not known. Nobody can verify it. And people wonder, where did the money come from in the first place that he was playing with when he showed up on the scene? And that's what people are struggling with, that he showed up instantly with a lot of money to gamble with. Had he said, I got a bunch of money from my father... And I parlayed that into fifty million of winnings because I also I'm a rich guy who also won a lot at poker. That would make more sense. In fact, that's kind of what Toby Maguire did. Toby Maguire made a lot of money acting and then went into poker, became good at it, and was able to get into these really lucrative home games, private home games, where he was playing against uh, rich guys who sucked at poker, and he was invited because he was the famous actor, and he would clean them out. So I can believe that Dan Blazerian won in games like that too. He's not known as a fish or a bad player, but uh, he didn't build him up. He didn't build himself up from nothing and sell possessions in college to play poker and then run it all the way up to fifty million. That's not what happened. It would be too much of a coincidence that the guy with the super rich dad somehow is also the biggest self-made. Multi, multi, multi millionaire in poker. There's no way. It didn't happen, and nobody has seen it happen. There's no evidence of it happening. Also, when you say you've won 50 million, he could be leaving a part of the story. I won 50 uh, during this period, but I lost, uh, you know, 60 during the period before. So, he also had some contradictions in the Howard Stern interview regarding his net worth and you know it, it didn't quite match up with the 50 million he claimed to have won there's a lot of inconsistencies here so i'm sure he got a lot of money money from his father and it's very possible they're trying to hide that it's possible that there is some money from his father that uh isn't exactly on the books and is being claimed as poker winnings and it's it's hard to keep track of it who knows there's a lot of ways it could go so That was uh, the Dan Bilzerian article. Now, this was part of a related article, which I'm not going to read, about Paul Bilzerian. And you can find that if you go to the Wall Street Journal article that I linked. You can find the article about Paul Bilzerian. It's a much longer article. This is like a side article about... uh, Dan Bilzerian, but I'm not going to read this. So, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, but I, I will say, I, I like appearing in these little things here. I like that I, was, I wasn't a major part of the article by any means. I didn't expect to be, but yeah, it's kind of cool. Tell people I was in the Wall Street Journal today. <laughs> you know. Uh, the reason it's cool, you know, I'm just like a regular guy. So, you know, a major paper prints you in an article. 
uh, it's fun to see. You know, if I was a, a guy who's being written about all the time, like uh, Daniel Negreanu or Phil Hellmuth or whatever, then then it's not as much of a thrill. But, you know, someone like me, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to be in the Wall Street Journal, as long as nothing bad is being written about me. But I was just a, a very minor part here. All right, where the hell did my agenda go? It always disappears at least once a show. Always at least once a show. Here we are. We actually have some topics that were added tonight that I didn't mention by some of our users. And I will talk about them. Uh, But first I'm going to talk about uh, another topic on our official agenda, and then maybe I'll deviate. That is a weird full tilt feature which offers a live dealer to deal online blackjack. This is so odd. This is really, really odd. Um, Full Tilt has added something to their casino games. This is a poker stars, you know, Amaya actually, who owns Full Tilt. And, you know, it owns poker stars as well now. They, they're using Full Tilt as the casino platform where you can play Full Tilt poker and casino games, where right now Poker Stars is just poker. So they, they decided because Full Tilt is the secondary brand that that's the one they want to expand into casino gambling, while Poker Stars is just going to be pure poker. But anyway, they have expanded their casino games in certain countries where you can actually play live blackjack against a real human being dealer. Now, how is this possible? You're sitting in your house. How can you be playing against a human dealer? Well, they hired some pretty girls in Latvia. <laughs> probably for very little money. To sit in a, in a room that looks like a casino, except in this room, there are no casino patrons. It's not a real casino. It, it's just a room that's dressed up to look like a casino with a blackjack table that actually says full tilt blackjack on it. And these dealers, these hot girls then deal cards from a real shoe. And you can bet. I I don't know how many decks are in the shoe. I don't know how often it shuffles. I don't know if you can card count possibly, but uh, uh, putting that aside, they deal you blackjack You watch it on the screen, and then you can use the Full Tilt software to place your bets and to make decisions. Now, of course, when you make the decisions, uh, the dealer has to – well, the dealer always touches the cards anyway. You don't don't always – this is like more like a – there's two types of games in a casino for blackjack. There's what's known as a pitch game where they throw you the cards and you hold them, and then there's the – non-pitch games, the open face games where they just uh, they put everything down on the table and you don't ever touch the cards. So obviously this is an open face game and, and they're, they're putting the cards out on the table. And so it's everything like real blackjack except you're making the decisions remotely and you're placing the chips out remotely. It's an interesting concept. Now, they've made kind of fake live dealer versions of video blackjack at casinos there's these machines with a big screen on them where they've recorded again hot girls dealing blackjack to you and but it's just like in a loop 
it's not a live girl dealing blackjack. It's just uh, you're seeing a video of a live gr- of a real girl, but then the the cards are video cards, and the only point of the whole thing is that you get to look at a hot girl who's supposedly dealing you blackjack on, on a video. It's dumb, and not only that, it's very poorly looped to where her motions aren't fluid. So like when it gets to the end of the loop, it kind of like jumps where she just looks like she has a seizure. It's really odd. If you ever see this, just like, like watch a loop go through and you laugh. But anyway, this is not a loop. This is not a pre-recorded video. This is just like you're really in the room playing, except you're not physically putting out the chips. And it's based upon your balance and your full tilt account. You're, you're betting that money. So you'll be making the decisions through the online interface. And in this room, in this live room, there are three blackjack tables and one roulette table. They uh, are wearing full tilt clothing. Uh, The cards say full tilt on them. The tables say full tilt on them. So the whole thing is full tilt branded. Uh, It's actually powered by a company called Evolution Gaming, which is supposedly a leader in live dealer casinos. I've... I, I guess they mean like uh, regular casinos that they're a leader. But anyway, uh, there's supposedly a quote VIP suite for high rollers, right? I guess you don't you can play by yourself or something. But all the action takes place live in the city of Riga in Latvia. I think it's an interesting gimmick, but it's weird. Like, what's the point? I mean, I guess maybe you can like seeing the real cards dealt out rather than uh, virtual cards. But if you're playing for virtual money and you're not actually in front of the person and you're still in your house and you're not there to actually witness anything, uh, it's really the same as, as dealing cards through the computer. You can say, oh, it'd be harder to rig this. Not really. No one can inspect the shuffle over there in Latvia. They, they could rig it all they want. So uh, I think maybe people will like it because it'll feel less rigged, but whatever. Uh, it's probably not a rigged game. I'm not accusing it of being rigged, but I, I think it's just kind of a pointless gimmick. Now, what would be funny, I, they probably wouldn't do this because they probably want to maintain a clean image, but since they're hiring hot girls for it anyway, like – Imagine if they had this and then, like, the girl takes off her top at some point during the game. Like, I, even I might play that. I mean, at least get some entertainment out of it. Like, like maybe if, if you win, the girl takes off an article of clothing. Something like and They could easily do it because this isn't a real-life casino. This is a casino they're sitting up in a room that's only for this. Yeah, so why not have this? You have legal campsites out there. It's not illegal to have a webcam where a girl takes off her, takes off her clothes. They, they have legal uh, online gambling here through a live dealer, so why not combine them? That, I think, might get more people. Especially, I'm looking at the girls there. They look pretty hot, you know? Like, if you could play blackjack and have the dealer taking off her clothes while you're playing, I, I, I think that might be a winning combination. Maybe I should patent that. Yeah, apparently you can interact with the dealers too, by the way. Apparently you can talk to them. I wonder what they will do if you say something obscene to them. 
what if you say something really obscene to them? Are they gonna? Can they block your chat? Can they kick you out of the game? Like, what if you say just really nasty things to them? Someone in the chat asking, how do you get to see these tables? It's only available to certain countries, and I'm not sure which one. So if you can't see it, it's probably not available to you. In fact, I'm not even sure if it's started yet. Yeah, I guess it has started. It just is only available in certain countries. I do not have a list of them. But yeah, that would be interesting. A naked blackjack, that would be interesting. Yeah, Lou Father asking in chat, uh, can you show the dealers your dick? That's another good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think this would work. I, I think if you could play blackjack and see the dealers undress for you and send your own videos of your dick to them and have them comment on it, I, I think a lot of guys would like that. It's like the best of both worlds. It's like the best of sex webcamming and, and gambling at the same time. I think it's a great idea. So yes, Lou Father, I think you should be able to show them your dick. I, I'm sure in this you can't, because I don't think you can send any kind of video to them. But I, I think it'd be great if you could. All right. So that's on full tilt in certain countries. If you're not in the U.S., check it. Might be in your country, might not be. But that's the, that's the future, folks, coming. Uh, soon we won't need to go to a regular casino. We can just turn on our computer, and the live dealers will be there. And maybe in the future we will be able to show the dealers our dick from the comfort of our own living room. Perhaps. Perhaps. I just hope by the time that day comes, I will still be able to get an erection. I might not by that point. It might be a long time. All right, so... (laughs) On a completely different subject, the Wynn Casino is coming to Boston. But there's a catch. There is a catch. What's going on is that uh, there's a license for a Boston area casino. It's for a city right outside of Boston. And there's been a lot of contention regarding getting this license. Caesars was trying to get it. I was actually hoping Caesars would get it so I could have a free place to stay in Boston, but no. Caesars did not get it because they were unknowingly in business with a Russian mobster in building the new Cromwell Hotel, so they had to drop out. Anyway, the Wynn ended up getting the license. However, the Wynn, who was just awarded that license, may not get to actually offer any games or ever build a casino there. The Wynn plans to build a casino... Uh, I don't. He's going to call it. Uh, I don't know the official name of the new casino, but he claims it's going to be a version of a European Grand Hotel. So it's going to be a very uh, beautiful, extravagant hotel. And I believe it. You know, Steve Wynn is good at building nice properties, but there is a potential problem. On November 4th, Massachusetts voters will go to the polls and they will vote on rejecting and repealing an earlier 2011 referendum that allowed gambling in the state. And if this referendum on November 4th passes and they repeal that law, then so will go 
all of the licenses granted for casino gaming in the state of Massachusetts. So, that will be the end of casino gaming in Massachusetts. It'll be gone. There will no longer be a casino in Springfield, Mass. Or a slot machine casino in Plainville, Mass. Those also will not exist, nor will this Wynn Hotel that is going to be built. So, we will see. Right now, the polls show that people will not repeal the law, but it's close. It's going to be a close vote, and the momentum is on the side of repeal it. So right now, at the moment, don't repeal it is winning, but they're going the wrong direction. Every time they poll, it gets closer and closer. So it's a race to November 4th if the repeal it side will barely get enough votes to take away all the casino licenses and reject casino gaming and undo what was passed in 2011. Part of the reason that this is being objected to is because of the failures in Atlantic City, all these different uh, closures. So anti-gambling forces in Massachusetts are saying, hey, Atlantic City is a failure. There's all these casinos closing there, all these jobs being lost. Uh, casino gambling's kind of past its time. It's it's already there's too many casinos already in the east now with all the Indian casinos and everywhere else. There's just too many. It's a saturated market, and the bad things that gambling will bring will not be outweighed by the good things because there won't be that many good things if the casinos are not doing well and not making money. So that's the argument for repealing the gambling in the state of Massachusetts. But if it does not get repealed, there will soon be a Wynn Hotel right outside of Boston. So all of you gambling degenerates will be very happy that you can go to the Wynn right there in Boston. So congratulations, maybe. Let's check out the text messages that I've received during the show. Let's see. At 3.18 p.m., yo, that's it. That was from Raw Wolf, by the way. For the 941 area code, please, Walter, come back, come home to PFA. That's directed to Walter Sobchak. Uh, The 954... Druff, want to say thank you for the hat. Uh, your last show with that drunk had uh, the, the quality of your last show that you were on. They try and say this is an insult. Uh, God, please don't do this to us again. That's from Sauce. I haven't been listening to much live, but listen to every show the next day at work. Just letting you know the Sauce is still holding down the fraud. Keep it... In- that doesn't sound good. It's still holding down the fraud. He's trying to say poker fraud alert. Keep it up and keep that drunk off your show. Shout out to SMI Florida, by the way, who donated to tonight's show. So that's from uh, Hot Like Sauce. 734 area code, referring to the David Baker story, I think. Uh, will you just shut your trap? <laughs> uh, and then... From the 513 area code, is it true that Fluffer is giving out free Blumpkins tonight? That's awful. All right, so that's uh, that's the text we've received so far. I read them all, as you hear. 
775-372-8355 is the text number if you want to send one. I also got a text to my personal phone number from somebody in the chat. I won't name him, but someone who has my personal phone number who uh, sent me the text of uh, various naked women. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. So uh, let's get to some side topics that were suggested to me. Let's talk about the Daniel Negreanu and Dan Coleman possible bet. So Daniel Negreanu, great tournament player, had a lot of strong World Series of Poker results this year. Nobody questions that he is a top tournament player. But Cash, uh, there's some questions about how good he is especially compared to today's very tough competition in the high-stakes world of uh, cash poker. Also, Daniel Negreanu does not play online very much, so there's some thoughts that he's kind of out of practice with online, which is a different game than live. Sometimes I have live players accusing me of being too online-like, and uh, they, they say my strategies work better online than live. That's what some of them claim. Anyway. Daniel Negreanu was questioned by some people who felt that he was no longer good enough to beat today's competition in 2550 No Limit on PokerStars that Negreanu, for all the accolades he gets of being a great player, could not beat today's 2550 games on PokerStars. So, Negreanu considered this and decided to say that he can beat them. Not only does he feel he can beat them, but he's willing to bet a large sum of money that if he were to play them, that he would beat them, and that if you want to bet him, that he will bet you for one million dollars. That he can beat twenty-five fifty, no limit on poker stars. Now I don't understand how he's going to play that because he lives in the U.S. and poker stars is not open to U.S. residents. But I guess he could go back to Canada. He's a Canadian. I guess he could go back there and, and play from there. But anyway, Negranu claims he's very serious about this, and if anybody wants to bet him that he would bet a million dollars that he can beat 2550. He tweeted, I couldn't be any more serious. Two weeks, five hours playing, four hours studying numbers daily would bet a million. So I think he's trying to say he'd play for uh, two weeks and five hours each day, and he'd win. So Daniel Coleman, we've talked about him plenty on this show. I'm not a big fan of his. I think he's a very good player, but uh, not a big fan of a lot of his uh, antics and uh, beliefs. I think he's a hypocrite and a limousine liberal, but that's different subject for a different time. Daniel Coleman... 
immediately responded, I call. Game is a lot different than four years ago. By the way, he spelled then wrong. He should have said then, T-H-A-N. He wrote T-H-E-N. But he's trying to say to Negrano, yeah, I'll bet a million with you. It's different than four years ago. You'll never beat it. It's too tough. It's passed you by. I'll bet you a million you can't beat it. Now, Daniel Coleman not only won the recent one-drop event for $15 million, though supposedly he didn't get to keep most of that. Most of that was uh, bought in by other people, and he had to give it to them. And then he also won the uh, Hard Rock $10 million guarantee. I don't know what the first prize was, probably uh, $2 million or whatever. But he won that. So he, he's really been on a roll. He's really done extremely well this year. He's won a whole lot of money and was a successful player before that. So he does have a million dollars to gamble in the Granu. I don't know if he'll also be backed by some of his friends like uh, Bob Vargaris, who I know helped back him in the one drop, but nevertheless, he's willing to put up a million, either of his own money or a combination of his money and others' money, on whether Negreanu can beat the game. Has not been officially bet or accepted yet, but I hope it is. I think that Negreanu will win. I think a lot of these online superstars overestimate their abilities. I think a lot of them see themselves as more special and better players than they really are you know, in reality. Not that they're bad players. They're very good players. Don't get me wrong. But I think that they look down upon the live pros. Just like many of the live pros look down upon the online guys, but not as much. The online guys really, really look down on the live pros. And I I don't think it's justified. So, if you're going to look down on Negreanu, it shouldn't be because he's a live pro. It should be because he's more of a tournament player, not not known to be a great cash player. But, the reason I think he could do it is because Negreanu was originally a cash player. And he's someone who just has an excellent head for poker. And when he really puts his mind to it, and when he stops letting himself get distracted by BS, he can really play excellent poker. And I think if he bears down and studies these players at 2550, that he can find enough he can exploit about their game to where at least where he's on even ground with the average one there. And also he could benefit if there's fish in the game. It's not like a, the 2550 is always, you know, six excellent players there. It, it could easily be, uh, you know, four excellent players, him and a fish. So it's not that he has to finish with more money than the other pros. He just has to finish ahead. The terms are a little confusing. I'm not sure if he's saying he needs to play for two weeks in this bet or if he gets to play two weeks first as practice. And then I'm not sure how long the bet lasts. But he says he has zero doubt he could be a winning player. I wouldn't say zero doubt. I think there's some chance that he can't beat it. But if I had to pick one side of this, I would say I believe Negreanu, if he really puts his mind to it, can at least beat it for a little bit over the long term. So... 
I think Coleman is possibly doing this because he just doesn't like Negreanu. He obviously wouldn't risk a million dollars if he didn't believe in his own position, but I think his emotions might also be clouded by his dislike for Negreanu because he played Negreanu heads up for the one-drop title and Coleman won. And then afterwards, when Coleman didn't want to give interviews and was was criticizing poker in general and saying that it's a a, a bad game and it's making people lose money they can't afford to lose, blah, 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 uh, Negreanu came out and they asked him, you know, what's your comments about Daniel Coleman and what stuff he said and how he wouldn't do the interviews and, you know, what is your what are your feelings about this? And he said, basically, Daniel Coleman is young and hasn't found himself yet and he doesn't... Uh, uh, it's just a young kid spouting off, basically. Those weren't his exact words, but he, he was basically saying Coleman's young and doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know who he is yet. So I know Coleman resents that. Coleman resents that Negreanu looks down on him for his age and, and thinks that he's not worldly enough to really have an opinion on anything. Uh, is actually right about a lot of this stuff. But regardless, Coleman doesn't like him. And I think Coleman kind of wants to humiliate Negreanu by taking him up on this bet. Because the problem is, Negreanu says, okay, I'll bet a million dollars. Well, who's going to bet Negreanu a million dollars? Like, even if I thought Negreanu couldn't beat it, I wouldn't bet him a million bucks. Like, you know, what if I lose? I don't want to lose a million bucks. I don't want to risk a million bucks. Uh, I don't think anyone listening to this show either can afford, you know, either you can't afford to risk a million bucks, or if you can, there's no way you'd want to risk it. Uh, but, but Coleman is willing to. Coleman is a very high-stakes player. And he's willing to risk a million bucks, especially maybe he'll get other people to buy in with him. So Negreanu may have been hoping nobody takes him up on it, or, or maybe he was hoping they would. But I guess he'll have to go to Canada to play it because uh, he's not supposed to be playing from the U.S. That'll be an interesting situation how he does that. But we'll see. We'll see if it really happens. I will say, I, don't, I can't see Coleman backing out of this. He's not the type who's going to say, I'll do it, and then back out. He's not really a welcher. So, either a welcher or someone who just says, I'll do it for show, and then doesn't go through. So, I think Coleman will do it. Question is, will Negreanu do it? And if he does, will it work? I'll be rooting for Negreanu if he does, and I think he'll win. I'm being told in a PM and chat that he has a condo in Toronto and he plays on stars when he's there in Toronto. That makes sense. I mean, he's from Toronto. So thank you for that information. Lou Father saying, didn't know Druff was a fanboy. No, I'm not a fanboy. Uh, of Negreanu by any means, and I think his choice center stuff is ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I have respect for some things with him. I think he's a a good ambassador for poker. I think he's generally an honest guy. Uh, I've never known of him to cheat people. Uh, I I don't think he's a bad person. I I, I do think he's kind of confused in some ways and and, uh, kind of uh, not emotionally stable. Completely, he's not. I'm not saying he's crazy, but I I think he has some uh, emotional holes in his life. But 
I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's good for poker. I think he's very friendly to his fans. And I think in general pretty highly of him. That doesn't mean I can't criticize things I see that he does that are stupid or weird like the Choice Center thing, but I'm mostly pro-Negranu. Also, he doesn't like Annie Duke. (laughs) All right. uh, Another topic about well-known poker pros going at it. And no, I'm not talking about me and uh, David Baker. Ted Forrest, who I just saw, by the way, Commerce. I I didn't talk to him, and he wasn't at my game, but he was at the next table over. I think he's playing like 300, 600. But uh, Ted Forrest was... Going off on Mike Matisau on Twitter. This is very interesting. So if you go to Ted Forrest's Twitter account, which is Forrest Ted, that's F-O-R-R-E-S-T-T-E-D, there's a lot of discussion about a very, very high-stakes weight loss bit between Mike Matisau and Ted Forrest. And Ted Forrest is just repeatedly going off on this to where some were actually suspecting it wasn't really him, but it really is Ted Forrest. It really is Ted Forrest, and he's just very mad and uh, repeatedly uh, talking about this on his Twitter. Let's get to the uh, beginning of this whole thing. I'm scrolling down. I always hate on Twitter. You had to you had to read backwards on Twitter. I always hated that. I always hated that. Uh, where is it? Okay, I'm scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up. Okay, uh, I guess card player was talking about a, a, some kind of bet, some kind of weight loss bet that Mike Madison and Ted Forrest had from four years ago. And he said, correcting the numbers, this is on September 9th, a week ago. Mike Manisau has paid me $70,500 of the $1.8 million he owes me for the weight loss bet. Hashtag four years. Wow. $1.8 million. That uh, is owed. Crazy for a weight loss bet. So somebody responded immediately, just some random who uh, follows Ted Forrest, that in defense of Mike, he really comes across as a guy with a good heart, your class for, for taking it so well. So Ted Forrest interestingly said, I absolutely, absolutely Mike has a good heart, but he has no grasp of reality or doing the right thing. Are you aware that I paid Mike 100K? And he went on to explain, I lost a weight bet to Mattisau the year before. It was for 100K. 
I paid him because it was the right thing to do. So Ted's saying, I, I paid him 100 k when I lost to him. Now he owes me $1.8 million for our bet. And uh, he's not paying anything. He's paid 70000 so far of it. Uh, then he was uh, referring to, uh, I think, a sports bet. Good luck, Mouth. I hope you make your, te- your 10 bagger. I can't afford to bet sports, I have obligations. Um, and uh, let's see he goes on and on about all this stuff he says to Mike Mattisau's uh, brother Mike may be weak but who told you that who told you that Mike Mike is weak but you are ill-advised to listen to Mike he spews nonsense do you really think I would undertake that weight bet and use drugs that would be really dangerous and, and stupid I paid Mike 100 k and he weighed in on a rusty 15-year-old scale that I was two pounds lighter than on the calibrated scale. You believe everything your brother tells you and you think you're smart. I would never do drugs when losing that kind of weight. So I, I guess there is something, some suggestion, maybe you were using drugs to lose all that weight and he's saying, I would never do that. That's crazy. I'm going to, you know, I would kill myself if I did that. Uh... That is the healthiest I've ever been down to, about 148 pounds. I admit the last eight pounds was tough, but I did it the old-fashioned way. I earned it. I earned it drug-free. Your brother knows he is in the wrong. We need to get together and make some kind of arrangement. He went on to say, your brother is also in the middle, in the middle of the bed announced he would pay 5K a week. I never agreed to that, and he hasn't even lived up to that. He has paid me about next to nothing. What does your brother being a sucker have to do with anything that he beat, he beat a... He beat me a 100K bet I paid. He should pay. Why should I keep quiet? I let him slide for four years. It's not like it, it, it's not over. I won the bet. He's paid me 70500 He owes me 1700025 more. <laughs> Scott Mattisau actually said, prove you're actually Ted Forrest. He was uh, suspicious that he wasn't him. Typical Scott. Ted Forrest goes on, let me, let him pay me 50K. I will play him a heads-up Omaha 8 or better freeze-out, his best game. If I beat him, that should prove who I am. <laughs> then uh, he goes on to say, if I win, he pays me the rest. If I win, If he wins, I shut up and he owes me nothing. When I beat him at his best game, that will prove I am Ted fucking Forrest. That's pretty strong. He's saying, uh, if any doubt is me, have Mike pay me 50K and then I'll play him in a 50K freeze out in his best game. And when I beat him, that'll prove that I'm really me. Total free roll for Mike. All it costs him is 50K, which he owes me, and it costs him nothing if he beats me at his best game. Uh, then Ted Forrest goes on to complain. Mouth, referring to Mike Mattisau, won 750k in the NBC Heads Up and paid me 25k. At that rate, he would win to need to win the main event five times before I get paid. And then uh, Scott Mattisau asked, "Did he offer you his full tilt poker stake? See, Mike does not think because he devalues his family, he gets what he deserves. 
He said, no, Mike never offered me the full tilt poker state. He just blew all his money betting sports. How can he pay the bookies when he has not paid me? Uh, then he said, so he should, he should pay at least, start paying at least the 5K per month that he said he would. And uh, he goes on to say, let's see here. Uh, you two, you two are an idiot. You already stated that if Mike was weak and didn't drug test, he lost the bet, lost the bet and should pay. This is again to to uh, Scott Mattisell. And uh, <laughs> Scott Mattisell says back, "Well, whatever it is, Mike didn't have the balls to drug test, so you won. And he owes you. I can't anymore." <laughs> so I guess Scott Mattisell was backing down. Uh, Ted. Forrest says, uh, do you know that Mike didn't even show up for the ESPN weigh-in? It cost me six more hours of not drinking water to weigh in. Six more hours of not drinking water. Real class. So he's complaining that Mike uh, didn't show up for the weigh-in and that he had to waste six more hours. I guess, you know, Ted wasn't drinking water to weigh in the least possible. And so here he was super thirsty and Mike shows up late, so he has to wait six more hours to drink the water he desperately needs. That's pretty brutal. Uh, and then Scott Matasso asks, is it class to cheat to win a bet, Ted? So back to the whole thing about him cheating with the drugs. Ted Forrest says, I did not cheat to win that bet. You have a big set of balls to accuse me of that. You already contradicted yourself. Don't make accusations you can't back up. That's something not even your feeble-minded brother would do. Fe- your feeble-minded words, not mine. So... Ted Forrest then makes an interesting statement. I'm playing 2040, and if I play higher than that, I'm getting staked. So I guess he was getting staked, and I saw him the other day. Meanwhile, Mike antes up in the black chip games and plays every 10K tourney. How is Ted Forrest so broke? Hmm. Maybe for making <laughs> dumb prop bets. I don't know. He goes on to say, uh, Mike knows he's in the wrong. You even stated he lost the bet. We should get together and work something out. Describing the bet, he says, Mike bet me $1.8 million to 150 k that I could not go from 185 to under 140 I won the bet. He paid 70500 out of the $1.8 million. So I see what this was. Uh, this was like a, uh, what looks like, I don't know, a 12 to 1 bet. Where Mike is saying, I'll give you 12 to 1 odds that uh, you can't lose 45 pounds. Which is crazy. How do, how do you give 12 to 1 odds there? But uh, he bet 150 million, or 150 million, 150K and would lose 1.8 million if Ted won, and Ted won. So now Mike hasn't paid him. That's a crazy bet, though. Then this whole thing about his trainer. He said, the year before that he beat me on a 100K weight bet, I paid. I even paid my trainer 28k for this bet that Mike is slow paying. So he claims he paid 28k for a trainer the year before when Mike beat him. And the balls of Mike's baby brother to say I cheated lack of class lack of class runs in the family. Uh So it keeps going on and on about the drug testing that they that we they agreed uh they had no drug testing, and, and he didn't use drugs. 
And uh, why would they agree no drug testing? If this is a concern, why not do drug testing? For that much money, I would do the drug testing. He says, Mike has won $8.5 million in tournaments. He owns part of Deep Stacks and the, you know, the Deep Stacks Poker Academy. And his book is being made into a movie. Well, you know, that's, that's true, but that doesn't mean he has any money, especially if it's his $8.5 million winnings in tournaments. It's not really winnings, it's cashes. So, yeah, he's, he's kind of uh, exaggerating. I, I don't think Mike has the money. I think Mike is broke. I'm not defending Mike, but I think he just doesn't have the money to play. I think whenever you see Mike Mattis out playing, he's being backed, just like Ted Forrest says he is when he's in bigger cash games or bigger tournaments. Mike was less than smart to make that bet, but he made it, I promise you, and I won it fair and square. Karma is going to get you, Mike. You know you're in the wrong here. Uh, someone has asked him, Ted, I know you, why you're taking this to Twitter, but have you tried calling Mike? He said, yeah, I tried calling Mike, and he told me not to call him. So... Uh, Ted Forrest, you, you can try to tweet him. I mean, he's been answering people's tweets. He's just answering like just random people tweeting at him. Then he takes some time out to promote Breakout Coin. I guess he invested in that. And uh, by the way, it looks like Ted Forrest gained all the weight back when I saw him. He, I know it's four years later, but he, he looks, uh, he, he looks like he's back to his original rate. Wait, so I'm not going to read all this. You can go to his uh, Twitter account and scroll, but he, he did uh, retweet a uh, an old tweet from Greg Mueller from August 8th, 2013. Private jet about to take off to New York playing OFC with, with Eli plus Mike Mattisau. Good times by Vegas. And then uh, Mike Mattis, I was saying, on private jet to Turning Stone with all the poker players is going to be fun. Well, all that's saying, though, is he he, you know, he got back to the tur- Turning Stone tournament back in 2013 and, and flew on someone's private jet. So. So he was, he was then went and retweeted a bunch of uh, congratulations to Mike Mattis, how, winning various things, including his World Series bracelet last year. So, I mean, no question, Mike Mattisau is uh, a good tournament player and has had some nice scores, but I think he had little of himself, and I think uh, he probably is owed so much money. I mean, he probably is in for a lot of money to bookies. I'm not defending him. I just I don't think Mike Mattisau is sitting with, on a lot of cash and just not paying Ted Forrest. At the same time, I think Mike Mattisau should be paying Ted Forrest with whatever money he gets. Like, he should, whenever he gets a little bit of money, ship it to Ted Forrest and not just say, well, since I owe so much, no point to pay off that debt. I I think that might be Mike Mattisau's feeling here. It's like, why bother paying, uh, you know, 30% of this at best if uh, I owe $1.8 I'll never get out of that. So screw it. Just leave this debt sitting. So if you go to Ted Forrest's, Twitter, you'll also see a before and after picture of him. The before picture when he was 185 pounds and the after picture when he's under 40. And he looks really, really skinny there. Looks almost like a different person. Hmm. I think I believe Ted Forrest, though. I think I believe him. 
but he, he was kind of see this this is a good good point here beer and poker said these guys made these insane bets when full tilt was still in america that's true it was four years ago and four years ago full tilt was still here and so mike mattisau thought those checks would keep rolling in and then they stopped and then he can't pay his bets I'm not defending him, but that's what happened. Blubber Nuffle saying in chat, this is a lame bet between two lame people. <laughs> okay. StockMattisau.com, by the way, is Scott Mattisau's stock advice site where you can sign up for $599 a year. <laughs> uh-huh. Here's something I forgot to put on the agenda, but I think is worth updating. Genocide. Remember on a previous show, late August, I talked about how genocide is in the hospital on bed rest for 8 to 12 weeks. And then, and I found this out from her own public tweet. She was asking for book recommendations because she's in hospital bed rest for 8 to 12 weeks. Posted a picture of her room. And then she tweeted to someone, Haha, this is just for Anya now, blinging out all her baby stuff since we're making history here and case studies all over. That was a really weird. Like, is she pregnant? Is Anya her kid that she's going to have? And why are they making history and why are there case studies all over? It was just like uh, an immaculate conception or something. I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it, <laughs> did she get impregnated by a goat in South, Af- South Africa? Like, why is this making history with case studies all over? Well, she deleted that tweet very quickly. I shouldn't say very quickly, but she deleted it, uh, sorry, about a week later. Maybe because we brought it up on uh, Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah, she deleted it uh, within hours of it being brought up on Poker Fraud Alert. So I have a feeling that uh, that was our doing. <laughs> And then I was blocked from Facebook. She blocked me from Facebook. And uh, she must have been pissed that I was talking about it. I don't know. Like, why do people get mad when they say things in a public forum? Especially when you're someone that has a lot of followers like Genocide. So she's got thousands of followers on Twitter. Thousands of people who are friends with her on Facebook. Most of whom she doesn't know personally. She makes statements like this. I reposted on my public forum. And I've done a bad thing. Like, how? I'd understand if I was like a close friend of hers and repeated stuff, or if I was a Facebook friend of hers and she has very few Facebook friends and I went and posted it here. But but how can you make these very public posts of your own on social media and they get mad at me for reposting them? It's so weird. But that's genocide. She's just kind of out there. She's not a bad person. She's just out there. I don't understand her sometimes. And that's why we go between, you know, getting along and not getting along. We've never been, like, enemies, but, but, like, sometimes she doesn't like me. Sometimes she does like me. Last year when I was at the final table of the 5K limit, she uh, tweeted out, good luck, Todd, would tell us, you know, whatever. Like, she, she, was, she wished me luck out of nowhere. I thought that was cool. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with posting on Poker Fraud Alert when she tweets things out publicly. But uh, someone alerted me 
to a Facebook post she made, which I couldn't read when I'm logged into Facebook. But if I logged out of Facebook and just uh, clicked on the link for the post, I could read it even without being logged into Facebook. So I didn't even have like, like I didn't make a fake Facebook account to read this. It was just accessible to everybody, which I'm sure she'll change after hearing that I talked about it. But the Facebook post says, Jennifer Lee at Christiana Hospital took me over three and a half hours to fall asleep last night at midnight only to have a nurse wake me at 2 a.m. to check my vitals. Goodbye, sleep. This is ridiculous. This is posted uh, Sunday, I guess, September 14th in Newark, Delaware. By the way, that's where her family's from, is Delaware. So she must have gone back home to her family. And she's at a hotel, not a hospital called Christiana Hospital, which is not a recovery hospital. This is a real public hospital over there in Delaware, Christiana Hospital. So what the hell's going on? She wrote, my irritability is getting high. Think it's that after the first month. But I think she means the month there at the hospital. So I don't know what the hell's going on here. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea who Anya is, why they're making history, why there's case studies. Really odd. Lou Father asking if uh, poker fraud alert user Delaware is genocide's father. <laughs> that would be a twist I would not see coming. That would be an interesting twist that I think we'd all enjoy. That's a little bonus topic for you tonight. So kind of three bonus, bonus topics that I didn't have on the official schedule. Back to our final regular topic. Then it will be time to shut this down. No editorial tonight. I, I have nothing to editorialize on. I've given enough opinions tonight. Doug Polk a.k.a. WCG Rider, a very successful online poker player, has an account at Bank of America, and he's had it for a long time. Well, he did not get the service that he was hoping for. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a pretty bad story. I, I feel bad for the guy, actually. Uh, let's get to the story here. Before they would always remember the day they spent together. Before her granddaughter used Bank of America's mobile app to deposit something sweet. Even before she made a quick stop at the ATM to pay for an interesting caricature. A grandmother did some banking online so they could spend the day celebrating offline. That's banking for how you live your life. That's Bank of America. That's banking, how they confiscate your money for no good reason. That's Bank of America. Yes, Bank of America confiscated Doug Polk's money. Uh, This is what he tweeted. Despite legitimately paying taxes, playing by all the rules, and banking at Bank of America for six years, they've shut down every account I have other than my checking account. Today I received notification that my remaining account has suffered a loss of services, 
and that all money has been frozen. I can't believe how horrible my interactions have been, and this is the icing on the cake. So, uh, I guess that uh, they may have frozen his money because they were afraid he was funding terrorism or receiving money that could be for terrorists. Whatever it was, he was receiving this money to his Bank of America account. And the either the bank or the government didn't like it and froze it. So he didn't give more details on this. But it looks like they have shut down his Bank of America account and he'll probably get the money back, but it, it can be a long time. You know, it's, uh, the government moves very slowly. I don't know how much money we're talking about here, but yeah, it's very frustrating when you are just expecting to get your money that you want on online poker, and it's not even the shady processor screwing you. It's not even the site screwing you. It's your own bank. I had an issue with a bank, a major bank, not Bank of America, but uh, they didn't freeze my account, but it was a bank that I would go into, and they started asking me weird questions when I would be in the branch like when I would be withdrawing money, and they'd say, how come we see you withdrawing cash, but we don't see you depositing it? Well, that's a dumb question. They can look on the screen and see how the money's getting in there. The answer was, uh, I was getting money wired to me from online poker sites where I would win, and then I was withdrawing the money to go play live. And... uh I don't know why they're asking me those weird questions. This was a while ago. It was many years ago. But uh, I, I felt like saying none of your business F you. But I didn't want to have something like this occur. So I said, oh, you know, I, I've, I've been getting some wires here uh, related to what I do for a living. And, uh, and I, I just, you know, withdraw it in cash here. I don't think I told them about poker. I'm pretty sure I didn't. I can't say 100% sure because it's been like, you know, nine years since that happened, but I think I gave an answer like that, like an ambiguous answer, but at the same time, like, I wanted to not create a confrontation or be an asshole and have them hate me. But I wanted to be an asshole. I wanted to say, shut up, this isn't your business. But never got anything frozen. And uh, part of the reason I was withdrawing the money is because I was moving it around, not not to hide anything for any kind of tax reasons. I just I was afraid of something like this happening. I didn't want the bank where it was all being received, those wires from out of the country. I didn't want it being the same bank that's holding like a very large account of mine. So I, I take the money out, and I'd either you know some of it I'd use to play on live poker as a live poker bankroll, and some of it I would move to other banks uh, because there they just see me making deposits and, and not getting weird wires from out of the country. Now, the sad thing, I wasn't even doing anything wrong. I wasn't doing anything illegal, but I, I I just didn't want something like this happening. And if my account did get frozen, I didn't want like a ton of money being frozen. So I can relate. I can relate. In the chat, looks like we have a winner. Uh, 
El Train Koja. I think he won the free roll. I think uh, Snow Tracks finished second or something. I think El Tran Koja wants a hat. And then he's going to donate it back to the free roll. So I PM me. PM me if you want. I'll, I'll give you a hat. And then put it in the free roll. Beer and Poker says that the reason WCG Riders' account got frozen is very simple. It's because Teddy the Iceman Monroe works there. That's <laughs> uh, very possible. Desert Explorer wants a t-shirt. They don't exist, so good luck with that one. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Okay, so last topic is a topic that I forgot for a moment. It was a caller who wanted to know how I got seven stars. How do I have a seven-star card at Caesars Entertainment Properties? Especially when I talk about don't play bad odd casino games. Don't be a degenerate gambler. Don't blow off your money in the pits. Exercise responsible bankroll management. And here I am with a seven-star card, which is the highest tier card at Caesars Entertainment. Reserved for their big gamblers. So how did I get that card? There's been a lot of rumors spread about on these forums that I, I cheated in some way to get this card or I, I exploited some kind of flaw in the machines. This is all not true. I got the card by playing video poker. Mostly. I played video poker that was not positive expectation, but I would play it, for example, when they would have a promotion going where you were in 10 times reward credits, which didn't get me my 7-star card any faster, but it, it made it where I got more back in reward credits to where uh, uh, I, I'm technically positive expectation in the game. Or I, I would play negative expectation machines, just that, you know, knowing I'm going to probably lose, but but that I would redeem the various seven-star benefits on the back end and, and get it back in that way. So the way you get a seven-stars card, and I've talked about this before on this show, and there's a lot of stuff about the Caesar seven-star program, which uh, the whole total rewards program, not just seven-stars. Uh, if you want to learn about it, there's a good resource right on this site, and that's in the Poker and Blackjack Strategy section. I may split off that section to like a general Las Vegas discussion section because I think people are not expecting this information to be in there. It's kind of a poorly named section of the site, but right now it's in the Poker and Blackjack session, section, Poker and Blackjack strategy forum. And uh, you can read about the total rewards program and about you know, various advice about getting seven stars and about uh, the total rewards visa card and uh, getting the most out of the free cruise benefit if you are a Seven Stars member. And this is all stuff I learned from experience and my own observations of uh, Seven Stars and, and of just the Total Rewards program in general at Caesars. And the way you get Seven Stars is by earning 150,000 tier credits in a calendar year. You earn a tier credit in video poker for every $10 that you bet on the machine. Meaning if you play 
two $25 hands, you would get five tier credits. And a $25 hand in video poker would be at a $5 machine because they, the max play is five credits. So uh, if you sit down at a $5 video poker machine, play max play for two hands, you get five tier credits. So I mean, this sounds pretty intimidating. That's a pretty big bet there, 25 per hand on video poker. Imagine doing that so much to where you earn 150,000 tier credits when you're only getting 2.5 tier credits per, uh, per hand. That sounds like you're going to lose a fortune. Well, not so much. Uh, first of all, there's bonus tier credits, where if you earn a certain number of tier credits per day, then they give you extra tier credits, a lot of extra ones. So if you earn 2,500 in a day, they give you 5,000 extra. If you earn 5,000 tier credits in a day, they give you 10,000 extra, which is the same ratio, but it's a you know a way to do it all faster. But basically, you can only play a third as much as you need to and get the rest through bonus tier credits, which means now you only have to really earn 50,000 because the other 100,000 will come through bonus. But it still sounds like a lot, and it is. And it'll take you, at the very least, 10 different days of doing this to earn it. And you will be risking a lot of money. And if you run badly and you don't get any Royal Flushes, which is very possible, there's only a 39% chance when you do all that playing you're going to get a Royal Flush if you play the $5 machines. If you play the $2 machines, it takes longer, but you will probably get a Royal Flush. The $5, uh, 61%, you won't. But if you play a high expectation machine like 99.54% jacks or better, that's a jacks or better machine where they're paying one for jacks or better, two for two pair, three for three of a kind, four for a straight, and then the important numbers, six for a flush and nine for a full house. And that's where they like to change it around. So you want to look for six for a flush, nine for a full house at a machine called jacks or better. And then that's a 99.54% expectation machine if you don't make any mistakes. Which means that of every $10,000 bet, you're going to lose $46 on average. So doing that, you can actually get seven stars with an expected loss of, uh, I believe, $2,300. That's an expected loss. If you don't hit a royal, which you are more likely not to than to hit it, then you will lose well over 10000 I think then your expected loss is like 11-something. So keep that in mind. And if you hit a row, then you're likely to actually win. So there is some gambling element to it. But I think some people picture that to get to be seven stars, you have to blow hundreds of thousands or maybe millions in the pits. That's not true. Now, what do you get for seven stars? Some people are confused by this. I have people coming to Vegas that say, hey, you're a seven stars, right? Uh, can you get me a suite? And I go, no, 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 no. I go, well, aren't you seven stars? Can you, can you get me at least an expensive meal? And I say, no, 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 no. I can't do that either. Well, why can't you? Are you being cheap? I go, no, I can't even get myself one. So they get confused. Well, wait, I thought you were a seven star. So what I explained to them is that the seven stars program is actually a program with guaranteed benefits. It does not give you more free play. It does not give you more comps. It does not give you just the uh, ability to get whatever you want there. Most of what they give you at the casino is based upon your 
current and very recent play. If you do what I do, and that is grind the highest expectation machines to the very minimum you need for seven stars and then use the maximum benefits, they're going to give you very little as far as comps. So you say, why do it? Well, the good news is that seven stars has guaranteed benefits, which uh, a lot of other programs don't have. And when I say guaranteed benefits is casinos give you things based upon your very recent play. And if you don't play, if you stay there and don't play and just take advantage of their free stuff, the next time you ask for it, they will refuse to give it to you. And that's been very common for years at casinos. The good thing about the Total Rewards Program is once you've earned that level, then whatever their guaranteed benefits are, they have to give you, even if your play does not justify it. And trust me, my play does not justify it. In fact, I haven't played at all this year. Uh... Now the seven stars, this is these are the benefits you get. You don't pay the resort fees when you stay at any of the Caesars properties, but of course that goes to the lower tier, the platinum and diamond get that too. Uh, you get a twenty five percent discount at uh, the gift shops on property. Again, no big deal. You can exchange your reward credits that you earn for free play at uh, $1 per 125 reward credits. Normally it's $2 for every... uh, or $1 for every uh, 200 reward credits. So that's uh, pretty good if you want to do that. The best benefit is you get free hotel nights, either four or five consecutive nights, at any Caesars property provided you booked 48 hours in advance. And this includes times like New Year's where it's very hard to get a room. So if you call more than 48 hours in advance, they have to give you a room. Four four to five consecutive nights. Free. That's the best benefit. Now, how many times can you do this in a row? Unlimited, except you have to wait 48 hours between stays. So yes, you could stay at a property for five days, go away somewhere else for 48 hours and then come back for another five days. Go away 48 hours, come back every five days. You you can keep doing that. You could spend five of every seven days of the year at Caesars as a seven stars and never play. You really could. Actually, I think Caesars itself, you can stay four, but some of the other properties like the Rio, you can do five. So that's, that's the best benefit. You also get a trip once a year to any Caesars property where they pay up to $1,200 for your airfare and will give you $500 in food credit at the property. And of course, you stay there for free anyway. You get a heavily discounted Norwegian cruise, which I posted about how to take the most advantage of. That's how we just went to Alaska in August. Uh, you get a gift from a catalog that's worth about 200 bucks at best. That's kind of a fail gift, but, you know, it's there. You get a $500 single meal at a Caesar's own restaurant once per year. You have to spend all $500 at once, so you should bring at least four people. You get a signature event to choose from. It's This year they were kind of a fail, but it's some kind of thing they, they put on where you can choose one of them and go. Uh, 
if you want to get other Norwegian cruises, you have 35% discount. If you want to do more than just the first one you get. You get special allowances by request, such as squeezing you into full restaurants or other things. You know, you, you want to have them bend a rule. If you if you show them a seven stars card, they often will. That doesn't mean you can do anything, but you know, you call a restaurant, sorry we're booked tonight. Well, I'm a seven star, can you squeeze me in? Ah, uh, okay. Like that's happened before. I've also had it where they have some stupid rule in place and I say, Oh come on, I'm seven stars, can you wave it? Oh, okay. I I I know uh Bobby Flay's restaurant, Mesa Grill at Caesars, they they have this obnoxious policy that you can't make a reservation without holding it with a credit card. And I think that's bullshit. I hate that. So I said, no, I'm a seven stars. I don't want to do it. And they said, what? I said, I'm a seven stars. I don't want to do it. I I don't want to hold it with a credit card. So they asked the manager. The manager said, yeah, if he's seven stars, let him not do it. So it's like stuff like that. But you've got to know to ask for it. Here's a good benefit for me. You get a status match to seven stars on WSOP.com, which otherwise is almost impossible to earn, meaning you get 30% rake back and you don't have to rake any minimum amount. So you just have it the whole time, which is great. So just whenever you play WSOP.com, auto 30% rake back. Uh, they will give you a limousine from the airport at certain properties. I don't use that very often, but you can. It's not just a free limo at your disposal. It's only if you fly in there and... You need a limo from the airport. The reason I never use that is I always like having a rental car. So I either have my own car or a rental car. I don't need a limo from the airport. So it's it's not as good as it sounds. Uh, you have a free upgrade to better room types if they're available, but not suites. But like if let's say there's several different types of regular rooms on the property. Like, for example, at Caesars where there's the crappy Robiton Tower all the way up to the good Augustus Tower and good Octavius Tower, uh, they will upgrade you to the better tower as long as it's available. You have access to seven stars lounges at certain properties and the diamond ones that are there as well. And another good benefit, you get free internet and free in-room movies at most properties. So you see, these are nice things to have, and I make use of all of them, believe me. But you're also not being treated like a baller with a lavish suite and huge meals on their tab. It's not like that. Um, When I decide that the benefits are not worth it to me anymore, I'm not going to bother with it. Desert Explorer suggesting that I go get a uh, firearm to protect myself on I-15 on the way to Vegas in case I have an incident like what I had last year. Uh, I don't know. I don't even think it's legal in some areas to drive with a car that you could, uh, drive with a gun you can reach for in your car. I, I do have a gun at home. That I do have. Let me give you a little tip on how to not have to put as much money into making seven stars. In fact, how to cut it by 50%. Earn your seven stars in January, February, or March, and you will have it for two years. And you won't have to play at all 
ones you've earned it for over two years. Because the way the Seven Stars program works, and same with all the other total reward tiers, is when you earn your status, it is good for the remainder of this calendar year and the full next calendar year and the first three months of the following calendar year, which means you have your status until March 31st, two calendar years from now. So if you earn seven star today, you'll have it till March 31st, 2016. But guess what? If you earn seven star on January 10th, for example, of 2015, you'll have it till March 31st of 2017 without ever having to play during that frame. So if you don't enjoy playing that much or don't want to lose the money, but you like the benefits, earn it between January and March, and unless they start changing this, you will have it for over two years without having to play another dime in their machines. Little trick. It works. At least as of right now, they always change things. But it's worked for a while. So, I think we are about done here. Always a little tough on me to do the show by myself for all these hours. But, got through it. And, I'd like to thank everybody who listened live tonight. Put up with a late start. And the various phone calls we had during the show, the various texts. Let's see if we got any more texts here. Let's see if we got any more texts during this show. Let's see. From the 734 area code, 734, I will give you $10 toward the site if you play the A Current Affair soundbite 10 times in a row. All right, I call. I call that bet. Brace yourself, guys. Here we go. Okay, there you go. There's your 10 current affair sound effects. There you go. I, you better not stiff me on the $10. What I won't do for money. Okay, so... <laughs> don't challenge me something like that. I'll do it. I will do it. We'll be back next week, September 23rd, 2014. Real talk saying in chat, what a Jew, referring to doing that for 10 bucks. Hey, it's, it's for you guys. It's your free, your free roll. It's not for me. I'm not getting the 10 bucks. You are. The users of this site, the listeners of this show, are the ones getting this money. Not me. Not me. Will I play cash again and have another confrontation with David Baker? Will there be more Twitter wars? Will another major publication quote me? Will breakout gaming get busted before they even start? I don't know. Maybe. But whatever happens, I will talk about it on the next show. F5poker.com, by the way. 
covered the situation with me and David Baker. And they wrote on their little article about me. Here, I'll read what they wrote here. If I can get it up in time before the song is over. Here we are. Poker Fraud Alert's Todd Wittellis is not bothered by naming names and almost embraces the occasional poker drama. (laughs) I almost embrace the occasional poker drama, according to them, and I can't argue with that. Good night, everybody. Shalom, and I will see you next week at 6.30.